Well, welcome to another edition of Unplug It. It's a season that throws up twists and turns. We fight on. It was a weekend where every result went against us except our own. We, we won the game to hang in there. Wins to Essendon and GWS in particular were not ideal. Richmond uh, overcoming uh, a five-goal deficit against North, not ideal. But if we win both games, we're not definitely in, but it gives us every possible chance. The first of those assignments is Geelong on the rebound at Cadinia Park. But always good to beat Sydney. It's only the second time we've beaten them in a decade. So that's always a pleasant experience. 29 points. It was a game we really never looked like losing in, in reality, um, despite the, the fact that the margins we're never a mile away. We certainly look the team most likely all the way through the evening. And the old Saints unbeatable on a Saturday night at Marvel routine started to ring true once again. But uh, Max King, we're on watch for him. He's been named in the side for uh, for Saturday. Um, fingers crossed that he plays. And it's the return of Dan Hanabry as well, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Could he be our Clark Keating? He emerged last year in the final round of the season and helped us get into the finals and then played in the finals. Can he perhaps pull out a similar Houdini act for us this time around? But a good result, Nick. Um, Five-goal win over a side that was playing as good a footy as anyone in the competition. And you sit there and think, how on earth did we get flogged by Carlton, who in between got belted by North and the Gold Coast? Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, we spoke last week that it would be so St Kilda to get belted by Carlton, who would just come off a belting by North. And then got belted and then come again. Out and, and got belted again, and and then for us to come out and beat Sydney, who really have been you know, the equal of at most of the season, but at, at the very worst, probably the third best team all year, you know, since about round one, they've um, they've played some incredible footy off off the back of the young kids and some exciting, really offensive, attacking, fun to watch footy, um, and so it was it was good to see us, I guess, do that um, against them. And, and you mentioned at the top. Uh, the other results going against us, which is kind of, you know, this entire weekend was the opposite of what had happened pretty much for the last month. Almost every week, results went our way, except our game. And we were losing games that we should have won. All the other results were falling our way and, you know, everything everything going right. We'd be probably seventh or sixth, you know, off the back of those results if we'd won the games that we should have won. Um and this week, you know, we, we win a game that we're probably tipped to lose and uh, and the results, you know, go against us. Um, but again, we, we see, keep saying it week after week that, that we're somehow still alive and we're somehow still in this and that, you know, results are, are now, you know, finals is out of our hands. You know, we, we don't control our own destiny. We can win both games and, and still miss. But, you know, results fall our way and you only need one or two to fall our way. Um you know, it's still it's still a chance, and and somehow, you know, around twenty one of this season, this ridiculous season, we're still talking about the potential of finals, which is just bizarre. H, you're a crook, crook tonight, so thanks for thanks for jumping on board tonight. But what had how'd you make that last week? Oh, it's just they're teasing us. That that's as simple as you can put it. They're teasing us. The that's that win is the sort of win that if we're sitting sixth on the ladder, like we probably should be roundabout with those two, three extra wins against a team who's in, would have been in virtually the same position we would be sitting would then launch us into the finals. But it's only going to be something that may help us get in. It's, you just sort of sit back and go, it is just, it's just so frustrating thinking we've beaten fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, 
they're, they're the teams we're going to come up against. So it's just, they're just teasing. That, that's as simple as it is. And I mean, stand out, it's on its own. That that's a it's a magnificent victory, but it should mean more than what it does. So yeah, I, these results, if they go our way, fantastic. Otherwise, you sort of look and go, well, that that's why we got to look back and go, we can get these great wins, but these other matches that we've lost, where you look and go, we shouldn't lose. It just kills the kills the feeling from that game. The ironic part about all of that is, like, I mean, our worst losses for the year were Adelaide, Sydney. Uh, Carlton, Port Adelaide to some degree, Geelong. Geelong first time around. But the one that didn't hurt was the West Coast loss. But if you look at the scheme of the ladder, West Coast are on 10 wins. We're on nine wins. We have a very similar percentage. If we had won that game, we'd be on 10 wins. They'd be on nine wins. They'd be stuffed. Mm. And we'd be almost certain to make the eight. Um, and had Rowan Marshall not have gone to the precinct and uh, going to a tier one exposure site, with all due respect to Paul Hunter, we lost to West Coast by, what, seven points. You put Marshall mm. in instead of Hunter, given Marshall's had about 30 touches in each of the last two weeks, we're winning that game. Yeah. It, it's ironic. That's That will end up being perhaps the season-defining loss, even though it was the one that didn't hurt. You're right. It, and it didn't hurt because we acquitted ourselves well. You know, We Correct. did everything yeah. that was asked of us except win the game. Mm. And so you, you couldn't walk away with too many complaints except that we lost. Mm. But you're right that that's that's probably the one that you look back on and go based on everything else since you know ladder position percentage etc etc that that's the one that switches around and all of a sudden things look very very different yeah and yeah i mean the the loss for me the one that hurt the most on the season was the port one only because of the opportunity that we had in front Mm -hmm. of us our worst loss was probably adelaide but that was comically bad that it almost sort of I don't know, made it easy to accept because it was so farcical in, in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, it's it's ironic. I didn't have that feeling in the West Coast game because I thought they might win a couple and be safe, and, and but they haven't. They've fallen in a heap again. And it's the, I mean, they're the st- one thing about their form, though, is that it's opened up another spot. For recent weeks, it was one spot in the eight yeah, that we were right. fighting for. Now it's two. So a little bit later on, I'll go through the equation. The equation only matters if we win. But basically, we need a combination of, say, two out of four things to happen or two out of three things to happen. Um, uh, Basically, Carlton are gone. We don't have to worry about Fremantle only by the fact that we play them so we can take care of that result. Their other results don't matter as long as we beat them. And the loser of Geelong, sorry, the loser of GWS and Richmond is stuffed. So you don't have to worry about whoever loses that game. That's why it would have been so good if Geelong had beaten GWS last week for two reasons. Mm. One, the Giants would be gone. And two, the Cats wouldn't be on the rebound for for one. So we'll we'll touch on that a bit later on. But yeah, it was, I guess, out of the game. I mean, there's a lot of positives to take out of it when when we touch on the votes. But I mean... Young Cooper Sharman's only played six quarters of AFL footy. He's had nine shots at goal and taken eight marks inside 50. He's had, I think, 13 score involvements or something like that. And he's kicked a couple out in the full as well. So um, I know there's a long way to go, but um, that's pretty encouraging. He's actually changed the way our forward line actually looks, uh, brought memory back into a bit of form. So, um, yeah, that's a really good start for, for someone like him. And, and look, Kent did his job. Um and I've been critical of him, but he did his job. And, and Jack Higgins, uh, it was good that he, he had a very good day against Sydney because, yeah, that would have been the nightmare that would have plagued him for a while, given what happened at the SCG. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. a strange one. I think we found one in, in Sharman. I mm-hmm. think that 
a little bit how you know we've spoken about how Rowan Marshall straightens things up and and mm. makes things easier for for Max King. I think Cooper Sharman's done a similar had a similar impact. He's clearly not the finished product, but you know he's lively. He moves he moves around the ground pretty well. He's agile and and he's quick for a guy his size. You know he's not small. He's also not huge, but um, you know he's got good strong hands. He, he attacks the ball, attacks the contest well, and he's got a beautiful looking kick mm. for goal and and even you know a few times he kind of moved up to half forward and and up into the center square to to kind of lead and and attack the ball attack the contest and then hit up someone else you know in the goal square or whatever he hit, hit higgins in the mm. goal square um late on i think he hit kent at one stage as well um inside forward 50 for a shot on goal and i think he's he's just given us another element that you know allows memory to push further up to the wing and and that sort of stuff he he takes a bit of the pressure off uh, Max King, because they're both lively. They're both kind of moving around all the time. They're never static. Um, and just just given us a, another dimension to that forward line. And um, he's just exciting to watch, isn't he? Yeah, it's not the sort of player and output you'd expect from a mid-season pick. It's mm. it's surprise packet. That's, Absolutely. Someone's obviously gone and seen him play football somewhere and gone, hey, this kid can play. He, he's... I don't remember hearing anything about him being above the level where he was playing or... He was playing the twos I think was, in the sample. Like, I was, was about to about say, yeah, 10, yeah, 10 yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, yeah. via yeah. sample so, reserves. So it wasn't as if he was dominating yeah. and he was too good for where he was playing or anything like that, but he's, he's he sort of stepped in and just gone, yeah, I, I can do this. And that, this, this South Australian... Sandful players we're finding it. We'll, we'll have to ask. They're all yeah. Ever who's over in South Australia, give him a pay well, raise. Uh, they're doing a good job. Yeah, that's our old mate Chris Toche, who's the, uh, yeah. the state recruiting manager for Victoria and yeah, South well, Australia. Obviously, we'll Highmore, Wilkie, Fisher, many many yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. we've had a pretty good record of South Australians. I mean, Luke Dunstan's a South Australian. Stephen Ziller was a, a South Australian. Um, the Wakelands were, were South Australians. So obviously, a lot of defensive type players in and amongst that group. But, I mean, I'm not saying he'll be, you know, he won't be an Isaac Smith. I'm not saying that who's gone on to play over 200 games. But Isaac Smith went in a space of eight or nine weeks playing for Redan to playing for the North Ballarat Reserves to playing for the North Ballarat Seniors to winning a flag and being best on ground in a prelim to being drafted in the top 12, I think, in the AFL to playing every game in his first season. So, and that, that was all, that all happened on the back of about, nine or 10 weeks. So some players yeah. can just thrive as they go higher up the level. Well, when you look at, look yeah. at Jimmy Gwilt, I mean, Jimmy Gwilt mm. went from playing Noble Park district footy, yeah. suburban footy to almost, if not for some Robert, Robert Harvey magic to almost mm. best on ground in the semifinal mm. in, in Adelaide. So mm. this, this stuff does happen, but I, I'm not sure any of us um, expected Cooper Sharman to even play footy this year yeah off the back of you know, only being in the Sandful Reserves at, at that point, I think we probably thought that Matt Allison was maybe a better shot to play footy, uh, play senior footy anyway. But, um, I mean, Sharman's come in and, and just looks looks at home. Yeah, nice, nice hands. That, that's one thing. He's, he's, the ball just sticks and he's um, read, just reads the play well. That seems to be the thing. He's, he, I mean, he... He's getting the. He got the. The first one was right down the boundary, and you're thinking, oh yeah, yeah. He, he gets close. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be happy if he gets close. He splits the middle. Well, the sealer, so, the sealer he kicked to was a belter of a goal. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. on the yeah, nice little one on the run, and yeah. So 
mean, if he ends up staying at the club, him and Max up forward, those two two could work together quite well. I mean, it's all, it almost feels like it's um, taken a little bit of the um, pressure off Max being mm. that big, tall forward up by himself because it feels like he is up there by himself a lot of the time because he's got Max and he's got the small forwards. He's gone up there and the defenders are, okay, we've got, we've got another tall player we've got to watch now. So, yeah, it's, it's, it almost feels like it's freed the forward line up a little bit. And, he, yeah. and he's got the ability and the skills to finish and actually provide a great option up there. So uh, it, definitely a player that, yeah, we should be looking at keeping on the list. There's a bit of um, there's a bit of Jack Gunston about him in the way that he moves, the way that he kicks. Um, but he doesn't have to be that, you know, he doesn't have to be a number one option. He doesn't have to have that pressure on him. Um, you know, if he can be a second or third or even fourth option, um, you know, just to, to provide a contest to, to, you know, make sure that, defenders are accountable. He can push up to the wing as we've seen and push up a bit further. You know, he could, he could probably play as a wingman the way that he moves. He moves around the ground really well. He's a beautiful kick of the ball, both as, as a field kick and, and kick for goal. So, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of options. He, he looks like a pretty versatile type player. And uh, he, I, I don't think that we pick him up in that mid season draft for him to be a you know, half a season type player. I feel like you pick him up, um, and, and try and develop him to be a 100 or 150 game kind of forward for us. Yeah, and there's been some guys that have kicked on out of the mid-season draft. John Noble at Collingwood, yeah. uh, Ryan Gardner at the Bulldogs, who's injured at the moment, but an important part of their side. So there's a few that do kick on, and it looks like he might be one of those. I mean, Max King's got his tricks working again. Hopefully he plays this week, but, you know, he's got the high marking. He's kicking better. He had the ground-level stuff where he snapped a neat goal from the pocket, which is the, the rounded nature of his game. I mean, if he plays the last two games, you could have a 40-goal season. He's kicked 36 to this point, which would be a, a pretty pleasing result. Kicked 20 last year in a shortened year to kick 40 this year with three bags of at least four or more and five bags of at least three or more, 10 marks four times. So that's encouraging. Uh, and memory up the ground was, you know, got back to the sort of form that sort of helped us. Obviously, a great intercept mark to kick an important goal in the in the third quarter. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of helping that forward line. And we know ideally we only picked one Ruckman last week and only one Ruckman again this week. Um, and I think that's a better player with all due respect mm. to, to Hunter. He's just not impacting enough for modern yeah. football to play two Ruckman. So, ideally, you'd have Ryder in the Ruck and, and Marshall forward rotating. But at the moment... Marshall in the ruck and um, interesting that Dara Joyce goes out of the team. Um, Dougal Howard comes in, but Joyce did a little bit of ruck work last week. Marshall took uh, Hickey apart completely in that game and in Geelong's ruck stocks aren't super, but I think Joyce could have played for two reasons. One, second ruck, but also defensive reinforcements with um, Cameron and those playing, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch more on that. A bit later on, Max, but, uh, Max yeah. King's an, an interesting one. I mean, we we were pretty critical of of the club, I think, at the time for not allowing him to to have that session yeah. or or time with Matty Lloyd that that had been offered. Um, but I think we all kind of talked about the the understanding, and, and we understood why they did it. Um, but yeah, I think when when you have when you're having that type of form slump that Max was in at the time, and a legend of the game says, "Hey, I want to help," you kind of take the option when you can, but um, whatever whatever the club did in those few weeks, you know, around that the the, the mid season buy following the Adelaide game, um, you know, a, a few of those weeks, whatever they've done 
since then, I mean, it's like a, a, a switch has been flicked. I mean, the Max King that we're seeing in the second half of this season is a different player. It's a different man. I mean, the, the confidence that he shows just walking out onto the field, you know, his head's held high, his shoulders are up. Uh, he looks strong. He's moving well. He's, he's not, he's never static anymore in the first half of the year. I think one of the criticisms was, you know, with our, with our delivery into the forward line, often he, he finds himself standing under the ball and not moving towards the ball. Now he's never standing still. You know, he's always moving. He, he looks confident. He looks almost arrogant, which is great. Like I, I love that out of him. Um, strong arms, strong hands. He's, he's now catching more than he's dropping, which is a great sign. But his, his kicking for goal looks beautiful. You know, he's, he looks way calmer. Um, his, his run-up and everything looks a lot more structured. So whatever he did, whether it was Ruffy or whoever it was, um, whatever the club's done, you know, they've got to be, they've got to be commended. And, and we've been critical at times this year of, of things that the club's done from a coaching perspective or training or, or whatever that is. But, you know, whatever they've done with Max King has, has clearly worked. And, and, you know, credit where credit's due, they've done an amazing job. And he's done an amazing job to kind of work his way back into form because he's now, you know, this second half of the year, he's up there with the most dangerous key forwards in the competition. And he's incredibly hard to beat. Yeah, I think that's a, um, a valid assessment. And just on those numbers too, so he had 13 goals, so 14 goals, 22, up until the Sydney game. Uh, since that time, he's kicked, just doing the quick maths, 1, 2, 10, 3, 24, 22 goals, 6. So he's gone from 14, 22 to 22 goals, 6 in a, in a space of sort of an eight-week block. So... Uh, complete chalk and cheese and what he was doing at the, the start of the year. But we'll take a look at the votes wrapping up that particular contest. And again, a lot of contenders. H, do you want to kick us off with your three, two and one? Yeah, the the one I went with, um, I think three years ago, this would have been a three vote performance. Cal Wilkie to what he kept Buddy to. He he's gets the one vote, but as I said, three years ago, that's a three-vote performance. Mm-hmm. But he's he's not quite what he used to be. He's he's still getting back into the game. It feels like he's he has a game like he had a good game the other week, but it it feels like it only happens every couple of weeks for him now. But yeah, to keep to keep him to what he did on the weekend, that that's that is definitely worth at least a vote. So yeah, I'm, I was very happy with his game and hopefully can do a very similar performance this week to either, I assume he'll go to Hawkins or um, Cameron's going to be back. So, yeah, we're going to hope that we can keep him down to the same the same sort of output as what he kept buddy to. So he gets the one. Um, two goes to Jack Steele. So very workmanlike Ooh. as usual. Controversial so, early. It's a great game, <laughs> but I... I mean, there's not, nothing else I have to really put on that, but just for the fact of he he was the X factor, he was basically in and around everything and completely flipped his game on his head to when we played him last time. That 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 is as easy as it is. Jack Higgins, that was a great game. Small forward. He, he's one of the reasons we won the game. He converted, he provided options, he gave options, he he basically, I get, he almost felt like he, he was 
running the forward line on on during the game. I mean, obviously we don't see it as much as what we would when we were at the games and able to see what's happening behind the play and that. But I, I saw him a couple of times at the back of the packs pointing and saying, get there, get there, get there. Sort of just, it felt like he was, had a bit of control there. And it was one, yeah, one time he told one, I obviously could see who it was. He told someone to get out from where the ball up was about to happen. And then Jack ran through and kicked a goal. And you think, well, he, he set that play up. So it, it's, yeah, it just felt like he, he, he had the forward, forward line in his own palm and, yeah, controlled the game, and and that that was the, I reckon was the winning factor on the weekend. It's not not a bad shout. I was really impressed with with Jack. Um, you're right about Cal Wilkie because I oscillated with Cal Wilkie between a special mention and three votes, and I've don't think I've ever had an experience like that before where you can you can the the player who is potentially the fourth best player on the ground is also potentially the best player on the ground. Um, he was amazing. And you're right. I mean, I could have quite easily given him three votes and I didn't this week. He gets a special mention alongside Jack Sinclair, Zach Jones, and two names that haven't been in this conversation pretty much all year. And Dean Kent and Dan Butler, uh, who I thought were both very good. Jack Higgins, I gave one vote. He was very influential and, and, you know, it was almost the perfect small forward type game. He had 16 touches, multiple inside fifties. I think he had four inside fifties, four marks, four goals. Yeah. It was a very, very good small forward game. Funnily enough, I thought his all round game against Sydney the first time was probably a better game, but just didn't finish it in front of goal this time. Yeah, he did that. Um, but the, the all-round impact, I didn't think was as much as, as that first game, but I thought he was very, very good and deserved a vote. Two votes I gave to Rowan Marshall. Um, the, the, the first game against Sydney, Tom Hickey was close to best on ground uh, in, in that game. He, he destroyed Paddy Ryder. Um, Rowan Marshall this week, 25 touches, 29 hitouts, eight clearances, eight intercepts, and six marks. Um, I thought he was close to our most influential player uh, around the ground. Just his, he didn't have to win the hitouts on Hickey still, still won a fair few hitouts, but um, for Rowan Marshall to be as impactful at ground level as he was um, across half back uh, deep in the, in defense um, winning the ball at ground level, I thought he was incredibly good and he also could have been best on ground, but three votes in the Jack Steele award goes to Jack Steele. Um, this this was just at another Jack Steele game. He just does everything, and he does everything to a high level. You know, 35 touches, seven clearances, seven tackles, seven score involvements, five intercepts, five inside 50s, and a goal. I mean, it's just you, you don't find a better midfielder's game than that, and and he seems to do it every week. Um, you know, he, he got perfect votes in the, in the Zero Hanger MVP award this week. Um, I think he's seven equal seventh or equal sixth or something in, in that at the moment as well. And I mean, his, his year is potentially even better than what he was last year, which is a stunning year. Um, and he doesn't get the plaudits that he deserves. I don't think. Yeah, I think it probably is in, in a lot of ways. Um, I gave honorable mentions. I thought Brad Hill played pretty well. I thought Highmore was good. I thought Sinclair was, was very good. Showed how much we missed him. 
coming back into the side and I actually gave an honourable to, to Higgins as well. I thought he could quite easily. I mean, he was a similar thing. I had him fourth best on ground, but could have been anywhere in the top three, including best on. I gave a vote to, to Marshall. Again, that was probably a three-vote worthy performance to do what he did in the ruck was unbelievable. I gave two to Wilkie. Um, I think our defensive unit was going to be under the pump, given Reed came back into their side in recent weeks. And, and without Howard there, they all had to step up the chain. That's why Highmore got the honourable mention. But Wilkie's game was absolutely pivotal. Uh, that's why we're in control for, for a lot of what we were. And, and Jack Steele, the, the three votes. I thought his effort... Um, one-on-one, which probably hasn't had a lot. One-on-two, I think it was, late that set up that Shaman goal where he put the ball inside 50 and then pressured both players, won it back, actually drew a free kick in the process and then Shaman kicked the goal on the advantage. And that was an unbelievable bit of play um, that, that should be highlighted a lot in team meetings for, for forward pressure. So he gets the three for mine. In terms of the Shannon Noel, there are always some of those. Um, I had it on Tim Memory. I thought he did lift. He was pretty good. I know you gave him an honourable mention, Nick, and I think that was fair enough because there wasn't a lot wrong with his game in terms of pressure, but we still need a little bit more out of Dan Butler um, in terms of scoreboard impact. There was just a couple of times, again, where I know he can be creative, but a couple of times where he just did a little poke with his toe at the ball at the back of packs and, and little handballs over the heads and stuff like that. And I, and I get you got to take the good with the bad in those sorts of situations, but... Um, yeah, I, I think we saw from the likes of Higgins and, and Sharman that you can still impact a bit more in that forward line. So, yeah, I, I just think we need a bit more out of Dan, Nick. It's, it's a really interesting one because when I was thinking about this, I kind of had Dan Butler in, in that discussion mm. for the Shannon Ole vote. Um, and then I went back and, and watched a lot of the game and – went through some of the numbers and the stats. And while you're right, you want to see more. He's a forward, after all. You want to see some impact forward of the ball. You want to see some impact on the scoreboard. And you do want to cut out you know, that that weird banana kick that he had running straight at the goals. And he just kind of kicked it straight up in the air off the side of his foot to, I don't know if it was Sharman or, or who it was, um, kind of on the right-hand forward pocket. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a real weird kind of Hollywood kick into the forward 50, but he had nine tackles, Mm. nine tackles. Mm. And the majority of them inside 50, inside forward 50. And, you know, one of the things that I have kind of been, I guess, a bit harsh on him for through this season has been is the one percenters and the, the effort metrics. Um, And I think rewatching that game, it was hard to, hard to see, kind of live in real time, but rewatching it again with the benefit of understanding what happened elsewhere on the field and, and that sort of stuff. I thought he was pretty good and that and that kind of elevated him from Shannon Knoll to honorable mention. Um, had he kicked a goal, he yeah. might have been in the votes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one and, and I certainly understand. But I, I had a really difficult time picking the the uh, the Knoll Award this week and I, I kind of went between Jimmy Webster Nick Caulfield, even Ryan Burns, I thought was probably his worst game for mm. the club. Um, and and giving him the benefit of the doubt, he hasn't played many bad games. He hasn't played many games at all, but he's he's had a pretty solid year. Um, so I took Burns out of the equation. And then I'm looking at Jimmy Webster and Nick Caulfield, and both of them 
pros and cons. Both have been good at times. Both have had their flaws and detractors. Nick Caulfield's had a real poor year, really, really poor year. And I thought last week, the week before, I thought he, he played pretty well um, in, a, in a poor team effort. I thought he was pretty poor. Um, this week, the team was good, and I thought he was poor. And that's why this week, Webster shows grunt aggressiveness. He attacks hard. And I just, you know, Nick Caulfield's a high draft pick. He's, he's meant to be a prime mover out of halfback for us. He's meant to create and distribute really well. And, and just for whatever reason this year, you're coming into round one, I was at that preseason game against Carlton at Marvel and I was sitting right behind the goals and he was, he was lining up at, at half back and quite often pushed back into the, in the defensive 50. And he looked so strong. He looked as strong and athletic and um, muscular and powerful as, as I've ever seen him. And I thought this guy's in for a huge year off the back of a breakout year last year. And it's just been so disappointing. And I thought maybe he was rounding himself back into form, but again, last week I just thought he was really poor and um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a weird situation for Nick Caulfield, but he gets my, uh, my Shannon all vote this week. Yeah. And I think Burns, I thought the same thing as you, basically it's probably is his worst performance we've put, we've had from him. Um, But First year player, you expect a few like that. So, I mean, I've looked at a guy who pretty much hasn't missed much football for five, six years. He's basically an automatic pick to bring into the club, being the regard he's held in. But just on the weekend, he just kind of looked a bit a step behind, I guess. He got plenty of the, he got a fair bit of the ball, but just he just felt slow. Like, they didn't feel like, he was getting to the right positions. And when he got the ball, it was a quick, quick, um, I guess, decision. What do I do with it? And quickly dispose of it. And yeah, Ross, it just, yeah, I just didn't feel like he was there. I just mm-hmm. didn't feel it. Um, we know he's a good user of the ball when he, when he's on, but yeah, it just, just didn't feel right on, on the weekend. He, it, as I say, he got he got the ball nineteen times. He, but um, I I didn't really I didn't see him tagging anyone really. That that's been the other option why he's been not getting much possession or things like that. But it just, it didn't look like he was doing that. So I just I just don't understand what his I guess role was on the weekend, and I don't yeah I couldn't couldn't pick it out. So I I just struggled to. As I said, it never came into contention for any vote. Never came in contention for a, a um, an, an apology. So I think going into what the two games left, what they mean for us this year, he's the one that I want to see really pick it up. It was interesting, yeah, because, I mean, before we get into the guest, I mean, Seb Ross and Luke Dunstan probably been the other one. I mean, Dunstan had 29 and or 26, I think, and, and Seb had 19, as you say. But I thought that was one of our slickest, cleanest displays as a team. And they were the two guys that kind of stood out a bit as the exception in a lot of ways. And that's probably harsh, but they they were there and they were busy and they got a bit of the ball, but it didn't look like they necessarily went along for the ride in the same way. They didn't look as fluent as the rest of the group. And I know that's a little bit about them as players. They're a bit more dour 
um, than, than some of those other guys are. But, yeah, it kind of stood out a bit more when the rest of the side was up and running that, that maybe they're, they're not quite as suited to that style of play. But we'll see what does happen. Um, obviously, this type of game, the outdoor elements type game, probably suits them a bit more. So hopefully we'll get a bit more out of it. Obviously, that, that incident on three-quarter time with Dunstan where... He tried to balk every player on the ground in the space of a minute. He got decapitated, so he should have got a free kick, but it was a silly I don't know how. Play. I don't know how yeah. he didn't get a free kick there. That's yeah. one of the, the more blatant free yeah. kicks, non-free kicks we've seen all year in my It was al- almost the case that they paid it for being stupid. It's like, mate, what are you doing? He, I mean, I, mean, I know yeah. he held on to the ball for a very yeah. long time. I know he had a yeah. lot of prior opportunity, but, but how that's – that's yeah. right. You still yeah. like you still take a bloke's head off. That's mm. a high tackle. High tackle. A high tackle is a high tackle. High tackle yeah. is a high tackle no matter how long you've held the ball for. So yeah. I just thought that was one of the more unbelievable decisions we've seen all year. Yeah, the, the first the first fundamental box you have to tick in the tackle is that the tackle must be legal first and foremost. That's but right. um, Yeah, well um, – We'll look ahead to the clash with the catch shortly, but changing tack slightly now with a famous Saints fan in comedian Matt Hardy. Milk will never be the same. Some parts of my childhood I'll never forget. I was 10 when I saw a grown man fly. Like a superhero arrived in the suburbs. What goes up? Hi Matthew, it's Mum. Now, we're all okay. There's some sad news I thought you'd want to hear. Trevor Barker died in his sleep last night. Bye. Sometimes when you're a kid, you can't wait to grow up. Sometimes when you're an adult, you wish you hadn't. Former AFL star, Trevor Barker. Trevor Barker. Trevor Barker died in his sleep this morning at the age of just 39. Charlie Bucket can keep his golden ticket. I became a winner in my own way. That packet of footy cards was on a list of firsts I'll never forget. My first teddy, first bike, first kiss, first car, first beer, first broken heart. Some people say they don't dream. Could he be the hero? Runs in, kicks, it's going and going, and it's gone through. It's a goal. St Kilda has snatched the most remarkable victory. I feel sorry for them. Just because you might never be the best at what you do, doesn't mean you can't try to. This is about a boy who didn't have a clue. He could have been you. Well, Matt Hardy is a Melbourne comedian and also a St Kilda tragic, and he wrote probably the quintessential book on what it is like to be a St Kilda tragic, which captures the the romance, the humour, the despair, all of that rolled into one. A lot of Saints fans, in fact, the majority of Saints fans have probably read that over the journey, Saturday Afternoon Fever, and there is a podcast of the same name at the moment. And the man who shares our passion for the Saints and, and experiences the pain, I'm sure that we do. Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, fellow Saints, the triumph and the tragedy that we've all endured or enjoyed. I guess just an overview on the book before we dig a little bit deeper into it. When you sat down and, and came up with that many, many years ago, did you expect it to be, I guess, as iconic as it was? I mean, every St Kilda fan I know that's read it relates to almost every aspect of it. Uh, no, I mean, I hoped because it takes you about it. what took me about a year, and I've heard that that's the average to write a book. And, um, you know, there's times when it's, tough going. I mean, obviously I'm not digging holes 
you know, I'm not being a cop or an ambo. There's tougher jobs. But once you take that one on, I didn't think it would be as hard as it was. And then once the editors at the publishing houses, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a deal going, uh, start cracking the whip, then, you know, they don't hesitate. They're almost like a coach. I know, I know nowadays we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, mental health issues with the young players and I'm not sure what that's directly connected to. I'm not smart enough to have uh, formed a uh, educated opinion, but I do know that when I was a kid playing footy, the coaches would go, you're fucking hopeless, you know, like lift, bloody pull your finger out of your ass or you're on the bench, mate. And I used to respond well to that. And that's lucky because the, the editor they gave me at the publishers which just goes, mate, this is shit house. You know, I tried to write a footy book and I couldn't sell it. And I can't believe you've managed this. What they've, what they've shown me so far, mate, it's a disgrace. You know, I tried to get off the job and they've made me do it. So I thought, geez, that's a great opening conversation to tell me how shit I am and how shit the three or four chapters I submitted in order to get the deal were. But it somehow got the best out of me. I'm lucky that I do respond to, uh, you know, aggression. But I mean, a lot of people don't. And I wonder how many bloody good books there might be out there that never got finished because people couldn't hack the, the process. It's it's amazing because Parker's right. I mean, I think every St Kilda supporter I know has either read it or has got it on their shelf somewhere. Um, but w- I guess following on from that, it, you don't have to be a St Kilda supporter to to love the book, right? It's it's for all footy fans. It's about growing up in Melbourne as a footy fan. It just happens to be a St Kilda tragic writing it with some St Kilda specific stories, but. You know, a lot of footy fans just say they love it regardless. Well, back to thank you for that. And I hope it's the case because therefore there's more potential readers, right? Because there's now 18 teams back when I, well, the time that I wrote about, there was 12 teams. Uh, and then at some stage, I think it became 14, 16. But as Darren said, I'm really proud when I get contacted by people that don't back for St Kilda because obviously I was able to tell a more broad story. And there's a lady called Lisa Miller that um, is the co-host of ABC News Breakfast that put a post on um, I don't know her personally, but uh, she put a post on uh, Instagram saying, I'm really enjoying this, enjoying this podcast of this book. Um, and you don't need any knowledge or interest in footy to buy into it and to get something out of it. So yeah, first of all, if, if supporters of other teams find something in it, then brilliant. And if people who aren't even into footy at all find something in it, then that's an extra bonus that I'll, I'll take, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's more stuff for St Kilda. And you know, that weird thing about, I did three years on SEN, like which stands for, if anyone cares or remembers, a sports entertainment network, right? So I did the first three years, the drive shift with Dermy Brereton and Anthony Hudson. And um, people used to go, the three of us, oh, you're just fucking Hawthorne biased or Hutto, you're just Geelong biased or you're St Kilda biased. And so some of the broadcasters, I, I don't know whether you guys know that over the years, Tim Lane, uh, the famous ABC commentator and footy pundit, he, you know, he hates people mentioning that he breaks for Carlton, right? So on one hand, we don't want our uh, spokespersons who are paid to have opinions on footy that we don't think are any more worthy than ours, right? We don't want them to barrack for anybody, really, because otherwise we can't hear any of their opinions through anything but a lens from the team they support. But by the other, by the other, my phone's ringing, isn't it? by the other side of the coin is if they didn't barrack for anybody, they'd be of no interest to us because <laughs> right. they'd not have any passion or any commitment to one team or another. So really you can kind of, when I wrote the book, I thought, oh shit, am I really limiting myself to A, men and B, drunks and C, <laughs> Saints supporting 
men drunks. You know, like how big a market is is there for that? And what percentage of them can read <laughs> or, or or want to spare money on anything but cold cans? You know, uh, but 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 I've I got a lot of remember letters. I used to get letters early, right? And um, mainly from women. And I thought I'm going to get laid here. Like I didn't know being an author. <laughs> I didn't know being an author was that ang- was an angle. Like one girl, I remember one girl at the Oakley um, at the. Uh, uh, what was it called? The uh, Forrester's Arms in Oakley, where we used to go and drink after Thursday night footy training when I played for Oakley Districts. Uh, there was one girl insisted that uh, I played for the under-19s for Fitzroy. And um, I thought, well, if that's what, you know, she seemed pretty keen on me on the back of that fact. So I thought if that's what floats your boat, who am I to argue? You know, so <laughs> somewhere out there, <laughs> some somewhere out there, there's a, there's a poor Fitzroy under-19s player that was mistaken for me who that woman thinks is a dud root. Um, I, I apologise now. I, dro- I tried my best, <laughs> but uh, too many beers under the belt. You know, uh, but yeah, so, so anyway, but women would write letters and they would say, um, uh, I, I've had your baby. No, they would say, um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to be in dressage in the Olympics. I've got a horse and that was my goal. Or um, I wanted to be, you know, uh, an Olympic swimmer. Um, all these women who had sporting ambitions as well that saw themselves in my story of, you know, I imagine you blokes by proxy of the fact I, I think I'm correct in guessing that none of us have played a game of AFL or VFL football, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we are the greater numbers. You know, it's the 1% of the people that make it. And so when I wrote the book, I remember thinking, you know, there's more of us that didn't make it than there are who did. You know, and the best ones of those who did get to write their story. So why doesn't one of us get to write ours? And I didn't know that girls were going to buy into it as well. I thought it was too blokey, but so far so good. And like, it's 22 years since I wrote the bloody thing. I, I'm unwrapped. I'm still milking it for occasional cash. I'm hoping this podcast might lead to some kind of money, but you've got to get advertising revenue and then your share of it. But mainly it's a labor of love. And based on kind of what else are we doing during lockdown? I'm in, you know, the creative arts is the nice way to put it or bullshitting. <laughs> and um, you can't get audiences to listen to your bullshit anymore because we're not allowed to cram in tight places together until whenever. So, you know, this podcast is for me just a, uh, a left turn or a pivot as is the phrase at the moment to try and stay remotely relevant and or not depressed. <laughs> but then again, it's about Sakilda and how can you not be fucking depressed? <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I think when you were at SEN, I think it was actually the Saints Entertainment Network, but yeah. Um, yeah anyway, well, the... well, that was one of the accusations because yeah. they didn't think it through. There was Mark Doran, there was Francis Leach, there was me. Um, Beaver, Beaver would have been there. Tiny Beaver, that's right. Yeah, that's a great, that's a justified uh, accusation. But I think you probably already know, including including you three, heaps of people with a media mindset are attracted to the saints. I think we're, we're a bit rock and roll. We're rough around the edges. There's alcohol involved. There's chasing chicks in nightclubs. It's a, it's an appealing uh, lifestyle unless the players you hope can do well are living that same lifestyle, <laughs> which they usually seem to have been, damn it. Now, what I was going to ask was, is there anything in the book that you sort of go, oh, I wish I'd left that out or another situation of oh, i wish uh, i'd put that in well no see the weird, the weird thing is you i don't know maybe the books are like 280 pages and i probably handed in 380 pages but i can never remember which of the 100 pages they removed because they wouldn't have just removed a chunk of 100 pages i hope 
they would have removed you know a hundred pages uh, in total incrementally but but i always get mates even today i had a mate saying oh why didn't you talk about that time there's a guy called jeff palmer who played for me in the notting hill under with me in the notting hill under 14s which was a, a notting hills like a sort of splinter suburb from glen waverley and um and i don't know why his dad was a good bloke jeff palmer was a good bloke but on his birthday one night which happened to be thursday training it was the middle of winter his dad secretly arranged for all of us to throw him face down in a puddle and drag him into the goal square from the center of the ground, <laughs> the full length back into the goal square. Like that's obviously cruelty. And his dad seemed to love his son and his son and his dad were both good fellas. But anyway, I wrote that story. He wanted, he wished I had have written it. Right. And I said, I did. And he went, no, no, no. I've just checked. Like it's not in the book. And I went, well, that must be an example of stuff that got cut out. Um, no, there's nothing I left out. This. uh, so there's nothing in there that I wish I hadn't have done. Although there was one bloke who I'm mates with and have been forever. He gets mentioned and I refer to his room, his bedroom smelling like mouse shit. And um, <laughs> many years later, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, one of the first uh, directions Nicky Winmar took upon retiring was to go play for, I think, Belgrave near Puffing Billy. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a Herald Sun centre spread one day that said, oh, Winmar's averaging 43 kicks a game which, you know, pre-Tom Mitchell was unheard of, you know. And they said he's just got the ball on a string. So me and a dozen mates got a minibus and hired a driver to take us out to Belgrave and we, you know, polished off half a slab each at least. And we might even get a touch that day, right? And um, so it was just our bad luck. But I bumped into this bloke, this kid I went to school with, who'd read about himself in the book and how I said his room smelt like mouse shit. And he'd had a guts full of... Jim Beams by three quarter time when we crossed each other's paths, and I went, "Hey, how you going?" He goes, "Don't fucking start on me, mate. What's this about my bedroom smelling like mouse shit?" And he started coming for me like through the crowd, and he always could have had me, and he still can, I think. But uh, I had to bolt and say to the fellas, "Look, I got to hide." And I go, "Who? What's happening?" I said, "Me mate, it's going to belt me." Oh, what sort of mate is he? Oh, I said his room smells like his bedroom used to smell like mouse shit. Right? I go, what? "What?" I said, "Just fucking stand in front of me." So I probably regretted that that day, but otherwise nothing's come back to bite me. I guess with Tom Mitchell, it would have been 43 hand passes. And hopefully that's... Uh, that's <laughs> oh, hang on, look out. Shots hopefully fired. that, hopefully Shots that fired. Fitzroy player from the under-19s wasn't Jason Heatley. who was on our podcast. I think he was in there under-19s for a... Uh, was he? For a while. He was. He was for a while. He might have even played a couple of twos games for him before he went to West Coast. But um, the, well, the one thing that stands out that I remember is, the, I guess, the suburban footy. I just got the back end of that as a kid. I saw a couple of games at Moorabbin. Uh, Witten Oval, I saw a few. Princess Park, I saw a few. Um, that, to me, that tribalism that it doesn't quite exist now because half the teams play at the MCG and half the teams play at Marvel, but the uniqueness of Arden Street and Moorabbin and Glen Ferry and all of those sorts of things is probably the one thing a lot of us missed the, the chance to see. Yeah, well, I mean, I accidentally, you know, inadvertently learnt about Melbourne geography. I learnt where all the suburbs are, you know, and then, uh, then of course, you get a car and you get a Melways. <laughs> Nowadays, we're all, like, ruled by the GPS. I've forgotten where all the suburbs are in relation to each other. So, so I've uneducated myself about Melbourne, but the original education was accidentally through the Vic Rail train system, just catching from Glen Waverley Station or Sindel Station, which is the closest one to me between... Um, uh, Glen Waverley and Mount Waverley. And uh, yeah, you'd go into Richmond or Flinders Street and then either catch a tram or a co-joined train or, you know, and I remember walking um, uh, from Essendon Station to Windy Hill, the Bombers' home ground, 
and always seeing like, which isn't funny, but it's a fact, like domestic violence through landroom windows. You'd hear it yeah. first and then look through and go, does that bloke just belt that woman? Bloody hell, and pick up your pace. And luckily for me, there was none of that in my family or in our neighbourhood that I knew of. And so you get real sort of um, fixed impressions of suburbs that might not necessarily be fair or correct, you know, except for Collingwood, which is full of <laughs> assholes and still is to this day. <laughs> Matt, whenever, whenever I talk about your book and your stories with people who have read it, obviously there's, there's always one, I guess, that, that jumps to mind and you probably get asked about it a lot, but I remember when I was growing up and in, you know, as a teenager in early twenties and whatever, I always loved to be able to get, you know, a girlfriend to wear my footy jumper or, or whatever. But the story in the book, the long blonde hair and the number one Trevor yeah. Barker jumper, is it true? Yes. And uh, I'm hoping to get the girl, I'll tell her first name, which is Sharon. Uh, I still know her. And um, I'm hoping to get the girl onto the podcast to confirm and or give her version of events. Because I've probably, pro- I've probably protected myself in my version of events, although I'm pretty harsh. I don't think I could be more harsh or more disparaging about my own efforts that evening. But uh, maybe she's got, you know, a worse version of events. Hopefully it's all above board either way. But, yeah, no, that's to- that is totally true. I used to, and I still am, I hate being so skinny. And I used to think that was, like, not masculine. And the girls wouldn't like a bloke who was so skinny. So I would wear like a wind cheater under any shirt, which got tough in summer, you know, uh, <laughs> to try and look like I was bulkier. And then on this one occasion, it was after Plugger in 87 kicked his first 100 against the Bulldogs. And he was only 21, by the way. And people now go, oh, give Matt King a go. Luckily, Max King's got some traction now. But earlier in the season, when it looked like what the hell's happening, he's going backwards fast. Uh, people were going, give him a go. He's only 21. Well, Plugger kicked his first 100 at 21, all right? So lift Max King, but it was that night. And that's part of the thing about the book is when St Kilda had a rare success, so did I, you know, and I remember checking all the dates and doing the research going, there's no way that these good things that happened with me perfectly align with the good things that happened with the saints. And they did, but it was perfect for my purpose, which was, you know, the majority of my life was failures. And uh, so, so, so was the St Kilda results, but yeah, that night we went to uh, Derby's in Caulfield and um, this girl turned out to be that girl in particular. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the book or not, whether that bit got edited out, but it turned out she was a, a, a big a older sister of one of my mates. So, you know, you've got mates at school. There's, I look back at my old photos lately for the purpose of doing this you know, reading of the book for the podcast. And there's mates that sometimes I'd be best mates with guys at school, but for some reason or other, we never ever went to each other's houses. You know, they were just literally schoolmates. Yeah. And, um, so I had a schoolmate whose house I'd never been to or vice versa. And therefore I didn't know that he had an older sister uh, who'd left school, who'd finished. She went to our school, but had finished like the year earlier. And so I just knew that this beautiful blonde, well, she was beautiful to me. I'd had a guts full of grog. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she still is. Right. But uh, this gorgeous girl was coming on to me and I'd never been come on to before. I was normally like, you know, just absolutely humiliated every time I found a way to pluck up the courage to approach a girl. But this girl approached me and then quickly said, do you want to come back to my house? And I sort of looked around thinking, what's the catch? Am I being set up here? And it turned out to be fair income. But yeah, we got back to her house and, um, you know, took the obligatory half hour trying to get the, the key in the door. And she said, shush, my parents are here. And she never mentioned having a brother. And then she was at the end of the room. And then I remember hearing when she said, you know, you go ahead into the room and I'll join you in a minute. I don't know whether she's going to powder her nose or whatever women do. And that to me was confirmation. I wasn't just in her house, but she told me to go into her room and I virtually heard 
you know, Mike Williams and go, Jezelenko, you'll be okay <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was struggling to find the right place to put myself when we got down to it. And we'd just undressed in the dark and, and she hadn't seen me, you know, St Kilda jumper hit the floor first. And, and obviously uh, I was hoping hadn't seen how skinny I was in any normal light, you know, undressed. And then, um, then or every, every particular disaster you can imagine, all the cliches uh, occurred to me. And then she goes, oh, I bloody knew I should have grabbed your mate instead, which didn't help matters. And then um, and then she said, um, oh, what's this? Oh, oh, you're kinky, are you? Or something. Do you want me to put this on? And before I could think about yes or no, at that point, I just wanted to escape because I was so ashamed of myself, you know, and I realised I hadn't represented my, my fellow man very well. Or your footy was, club. Yeah, or my footy club. And so she literally had long blonde hair, Sharon, whose surname I won't mention unless she lets me when and if we get her on a future podcast. And um, and she did, and she just happened to reach up, you know, to grab the top of the 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 bedstead, and so kind of like you know, and and she had the long blonde hair flowing over the number one jumper. And this is the number. This is the jumper in question. I still got it. Um, you can probably see the yo play. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And that's supposedly worn in the VFL logo. And that's supposedly worn by the Trevor Barker in a real match. There you anyway, go. Um, and, yeah, worn uh, by the Sharon in a real. Worn event. by the Sharon in a real uh, social circumstance. And then uh, then she caught me about an hour later trying to like sneak out the window. And so I thought, I'm not going through the house. I don't know the lay of the land, you know, the house's uh, design inside. I just know that there's a window and outside that window is my home somewhere and she caught me and goes oh don't you've humiliated yourself don't humiliate me as well right anyway then in the morning she shakes me awake I finally got to sleep passed out with you know a guts full of bloody I don't know probably southern coke or something disgraceful and um she shakes me awake and um and goes oh I'm gonna get my brother to give you a lift home I go no your brother no why I don't know I didn't know I knew him that he was in my class that he was my mate and um I go, don't get your brother, don't get your brother. So she just leaves the room and shuts the door behind her. And I'm trying to gather my stuff and thinking about bailing out the window again. And um, then there's a knock on the door and it opens before I could say or do anything. And it's my mate goes, oh, Matty Hardy. Oh, here you uh, are. He didn't manage to get the job done last night, buddy. How about I, uh, <laughs> how about I help you out here? And, help, and I went, oh, I'm a son. I go, hit me, hit me anywhere, anywhere, even the face. He goes, shut up. Like they were one of those almost uh, creepily liberal families, you know, like it was no big deal that I might've been in bed with his sister to him. Um, anyway, so that's the extra addition. I don't think was mentioned in the book uh, that was on top of the other whole cavalcade of catastrophes that occurred. God bless her though, for giving me a go. Right. Well, and, and our message to Sharon is Sharon, get on the podcast, mate. Get on the podcast and tell your side of the story. Look, I know she was married with a kid. I don't think she is married anymore, but it depends on how much of her laundry she wants to air. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure I'll soon find out one way or another. But I would like to give that story veracity because the very fact that you ask if it's true is something I want to – look, if it's not true, why would I – who would voluntarily talk about being so bad in bed? You know? Well, I guess to sell a book. Yeah, fair enough. But then the, I've got cyn- to, like, the cynical part of me says, "Well, if you want to sell a book, you tell some yeah, interesting that's stories." That's fair enough. I think. Well, I'm not above that, but it actually did happen. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you then took the book and turned it into a live show, which I know two or three of us have. What's been to the show? I'm not Darren on the hundred percent certain about. Yes, been a couple of times. Darren, so yeah, so we've all been to it. 
Great. Um, Thank you. I went to the original. I went to the original one back at Crown, back in the nice. Well, felt felt like a hallway. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what what the room was we we're in, but it, it, it felt was, like no, a hallway. It was partially, was... you say a hallway, but they managed to pack in 300, 290 yeah. people a night in there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, but but it was a kind of hallway. It was what they'd done is they just they'd refashioned a space because it was the first time they'd been a part of the Melbourne International Comedy mm-hmm. Festival. They didn't really have, they only had big rooms, you know, for like Frank Sinatra cover, cover bands with big brass sections and stuff. So they fashioned a yeah, temporary space that did, luckily for me, because it sold out every night, hold 290 people, but it wasn't, yeah, uh, an orthodox room by any means. Uh, mm, and that's the first time I'd ever tried to work with multimedia with like, you know, images and vision and sound effects and stuff as a part of the verbal storytelling uh, show as well but because I'd done 10 years of stand-up in London before that and so I wrote the book in 99 due to being homesick couldn't believe I got a deal got it published they flew me back and I and I ended up being on like hey hey and triple r and triple j and triple m and bloody everything and I'd, no one had ever heard of me before so I don't know how that happened in nine so I'm still a bit baffled but you know I won't complain and then uh, I think I did reasonably well in the process of promoting the book on all those opportunities and then when I came back the following year, because my dad got really sick to the point where he was almost going to die. And my brother said, look, you're going to have to get back here. And luckily, it took my dad, well, eventually about eight years before he finally passed away. But the initial bad phase took him about eight months to get over. And by that time, I'd lost a bit of momentum because London comedy clubs were booking you or well, booking me for six nights a week, but 12 months in advance. So after I'd taken a couple of months off, they started ringing me going, listen, we can't really hold these gigs for you anymore. We're going to have to replace you. And you're going to have to start again from scratch when you return. Uh, so I, th- I thought oh, I'll try and see what momentum I can create here. That was in the year 2000. And I got to host a comedy channel tonight show called the big schmooze with uh, Dave O'Neill and Kate Langbrook as my sidekicks. I mean, whatever became of those, those guys. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. So uh, yeah. And, and then I made a reasonably good fist of it, but I thought I need to do something live that's slightly different from just a half hour stand-up show where you talk about any topic. And uh, someone suggested, why don't you try and do it like a theatrical version with a bit of stand-up skill involved of the book on stage. And luckily that's the first one. In fact, uh, Aaron was, um, was at the Victoria hotel just by the side of the um, Melbourne town hall in the year 2000. And then the one you saw, I think was maybe 2005 or six at crown. And then 2003, at, I think. 2003. And then in 2019, yeah. which was the 20th year anniversary, that was the excuse I went with, mm-hmm. um, just before COVID kicked in, I did like what I thought was going to be my final ever, you know, season of it. But I mean, this podcast so far seems to be getting so much uh, momentum that um, I reckon I could possibly do it again if I have to and maybe, you know, get a crowd one extra time. My old man's always told me a story of um, Moorabbin back in the day where uh, you'd, you'd obviously he'd stand behind, next to the animal enclosure behind the bench and uh, there'd be the same guys that would stand around him every day. And he said there was a gentleman that stood behind him, a, an Italian guy who didn't say a word for about five years at Moorabbin. Yeah. And all of a sudden, one day, there was a massive punch on in the crowd. I don't know what happened. There was a massive blue. And Dad turned around and the guy behind him just pulled a knife out of his bag. What? He hadn't, hadn't said a word for five years and all of a sudden he just pulls a knife because there's a fight. He's like, I've got your back, boys. It's all good. Um, those sorts of quirky stories, I know there are probably a lot of them in the book, but, but is there always a standout memory of even going to Marab and thinking, yep, that's, uh, that, that sort of sums up what that experience was like? Just these well, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know whether you've seen that uh, 
that documentary called Heathens. It was made quite a few years ago about the blokes behind the goals at the grandstand end. Um, and uh, not the cheer squad, but maybe a bit further back, almost back toward the, the front of the grandstand. But there was a bloke called Chook that used to shout out, you tape up rats, right? <laughs> As if he was suggesting some perverse sexual proclivity, right? Like you tape up rats, he'd yell. And then, um, and then he said to, uh, he said, he yelled out to Paul Salmon. Uh, he says to Paul Salmon, John West fucking hates you, right? Um, and then, uh, and then he yells out to Stephen O'Brien, no, uh, Stephen O'Dwyer, the Melbourne ruckman with a big head of curly red hair. Uh, known as Straubs, he goes, uh, uh, Ronald McDonald wants his fucking wig back. <laughs> so, and half the time, a lot of those games were sparsely attended. And I remember that day, Danny Frawley was like almost on the ground, like crying with laughter because the players would hear it. And St- Danny Frawley's down on the, on the ground, like tr- crying with laughter. And uh, Stephen O'Dwyer, the Melbourne bloke who was the subject of the insult, he's like walking toward the fence going, who fucking said that then? Right. And then that made the crowd go even more berserk. Once we realized they could hear us, you know, it was open slather. But some of those blokes, I just found this. That's the um, – so I was in the cheer squad. That's the uh, Saints cheer squad 1983 badge. And uh, then then they used to come up with these badges like Saints mania. Do you remember these, these – obviously someone was employed to yeah. come up with, I don't know, slogans that were original so you'd keep on purchasing the merch. <laughs> but this is my favourite, and this is fair income. You had to be a member of this. I mean, I was by accident. Saints Grog Squad <laughs> with a Foster's can on it. The old, uh, the old, you know, uh, heart piercing yeah. pin on part at the back. Oh, yeah. uh, a little bit yeah, of a so, different Saints, Saints coterie to what you'd see these days. Well, yeah, it's much more, you know, like uh, Lawrence says in one of our episodes, there's that bloody dobbing a bad fan hotline now, isn't there? Yeah, that's there is. You know, uh, but, but I can see why because they, you know, just used to be drunk men basically, and then they obviously worked harder, and they got I think it's now fifty two percent women in the audience that, or in the crowd at any given game, or when and if you can get crowds again, and a lot of kids, you know, and I've got kids now, and uh, I've now turned full circle. I'm taking umbrage if somebody's using bad language in front of them. I mean, not that there was any kids anywhere near us or any women for that matter, um, but it was yeah, they were heathens. Uh, and I remember Chook, he was the guy that yelled out the great insults. And I remember another bloke who we called Donuts because he used to chuck donuts at the goal umpire when the goal umpire still had the white jackets. And, uh, and, and the jam would leave spots on the bloke's back. It looked like he'd been shot six times from behind. <laughs> <laughs> but he would just buy donuts to throw at the umpire. He was a good yeah. shot too. And there was one time he turns up and he had all these Polaroids of him and some chick in like pornographic poses. He goes, oh, have a look, have a look at these, have a look at these, look at this Sheila, oh, she's a bloody good sort. And we're looking at these, uh, these um, we had no choice. He was shoving them right under our noses. It was like weird. And then next minute the cops like come out of nowhere, right? And instead of running, he goes, he leans toward the cops. He front foots it and he goes, look at these I found. They're, they're a bloody disgrace. Someone... Someone's been taking the photos of me with my girlfriend through the window. Bloody, you need to, I need to catch this fella. Right? And they go, go on, mate, piss off, piss off. And they take the photos. And as they strolled off, we saw them like glancing through themselves and having a laugh. <laughs> now, this stuff really happened in my life as a 12-year-old boy. I thought, what's going on here? Is it, is, and I remember thinking, I felt betrayed. I was half excited and half like, I felt like I'd been betrayed that this had been obviously going on for many years and I had no idea. You know, I was grateful that I'd discovered it but I also felt like I'd missed out on more of it beforehand. <laughs> well, what is, I mean, it, we've had a lot of former players 
coaches, kind of whatever type of, of Saints um, characters on this show before, but w- what's your strongest memory growing up of, of being a Saints fan? And you, obviously, you've, you've told all these stories in, in your book, but I guess well, for, for our listeners that haven't read, if there are any, what, what, what do you remember about growing up being a Saints fan? Trevor Barker. Right, that's the original Trevor Barker badge there. There's a uh, there's another one, like a cheaper, lesser design. But meeting Trevor Barker, like seeing him on the the front page of what was then the Sun, because the Sun and the Herald, you might remember, you're probably younger than me, used to be separate papers. The Sun would be in the morning, and the Herald would be in the afternoon. And the Sun on the Monday morning after Barker took that screamer at Windy Hill over SNN's Dennis Scanlon, just like a ballet type. Um, pose it was perfect it was like it was set up for the cameraman a guy called lee henningham who's still around who's a brilliant melbourne photographer he managed to capture it and um that to me was just like you know forget the marvel universe that was like the hero i needed and um i then just you know he happened to also be so then i got into footy on the back of seeing that photograph i was like nine or something i was like a late starter really and um i just thought who's this guy looks like he's flying you know, and um, and the long sleeves and the blonde hair and the number one, and I liked the colours, the combination of the red, white, and black. You know, it was that basic at that point. And then, um, then I bought my bought my first packet of footy cards at Pinewood Shopping Centre, the Milk Bar, and uh, you know, I almost can remember now hearing the bell tingle as I walked back out and opened them up with that wax paper wrapping and seeing the pink sticker chewy with the frosted uh, icing sugar on top, and it, and Trevor Barker was looking right at me, and I thought, what a ridiculous coincidence. Mm. And then, um. I don't know. He was good looking and he looked friendly. And um, I knew that that face, because the Barker photo of that famous Mark was taken from behind. So I never saw what he looked like, but then to go see him in a real game, you know, like over the other side of the fence. And when you used to be able to have a kick on the ground afterwards, that stinky mud that you'd kick your footy on and just go, this is like the stage on which the drama unfolded. We're allowed on it, you know, straight after it, it's over. But then, you know, somewhere, somehow, well, I know where it was. It was on the grand, it was in the grandstand of the next year's preseason game where Barker was sitting out with an injury. And I just saw him sitting, sitting up there by himself with footy shorts on and a t-shirt watching his teammates in an intra-club practice match and just plucked up the balls to go and say good day. And I went, oh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Barker. And he goes, uh, call me Trevor. Right. And I just almost like passed out. I couldn't believe. And he goes, take a seat, mate. Because I was sort of semi-standing in front of his vision. And then I must have asked him like all the standard, you know, almost footy record questions. Oh, who's your favourite opponent? You know, what what's your just just wasted his time? But he answered all my questions. You know, waited almost like Dan Andrews, waited till everyone had asked everything they wanted <laughs> answers to, and um, until the point it was, uh, he let me decide when to go. You know, which was probably about eight days later. Really, you know? <laughs> I didn't want, but I just couldn't. Even now, even now, I think I'm a ch- I'm no shit. I'm a chance like I could cry because the bloke was so kind hearted, so beautiful. And also just like, just like a superhuman, you know, like I couldn't believe he was accessible. Hmm. I couldn't believe that that bloke doing that stuff on the ground was this bloke talking to me. Hmm. Um, I still can't. I, st- I reckon if I, if I zend out on you blokes right now, I reckon I could make myself cry. I <laughs> like, like the actors, the good actors apparently can, but just to this day, oh, just I can feel the shivers right now. Just a beautiful bloke. And um, I don't know whether you met him or you heard about him or or not or what, but he had some kind of charisma that would have got him to the top of whatever endeavour he pursued. You know, he was a beautiful, lovely bloke. And a 
fucking brilliant good player and the only good player for so long that we had. You know, we were shit ass. And of course he was loyal, you know, maybe even foolishly so in hindsight, because every team was trying to recruit him every year. And he went, nah, St Kilda gave me the first chance. It was Yabby Jeans. He played fullback for Victoria when he was like 18. And he was given about, I don't know, 12 centimetres and about 10 kilos away to all of his opponents and beaten them, beaten Peter Hudson. You know, uh, he's an incredible player immediately. But then then even in his heyday, he adjusted almost like Dennis Lilly or players that get injured and have to play different in order to survive like Tony Liberatore did, you know, you become a different type of player to still ensure you get a game at that level. But yeah, the, the, the I know I've gone on for 50 years, but you started it. Um, my <laughs> abiding memory, my strongest memory is meeting and watching, you know, the Trevor Barker. I mean, I suppose he was almost to me like Buddy Franklin is now, like you just, just almost like a separate species. So you've traveled and worked with and done a lot of, I guess, gigs with other comedians and media personalities and everything around the world. Have you tried to push them towards AFL and St Kilda and saying, just just have a look at what I'm into and that sort of thing. And then push the book on them and say, this is how we grew up. I mean, a few of the English ones obviously had their English football growing up and that sort of thing. And it was, it was probably a couple of similarities to it. And is there anyone you've managed to get on board and not one of them gives a single shit, right? And it offends me. It offends me. You can take them to the MCG. You can take them even. I, I sometimes took them to non-states games, so they might be a chance to actually be won over by the by the by the game. But you take them to a packed MCG. You know, one bloke I took, he was here for the Anzac Day game, and it was like you know a one-point thriller, chock a block. All the you know rigmarole beforehand, the ceremony, the minute silence. But by maybe quarter time. He was asking if we could go to a titty bar. I won't say who it was, right? <laughs> like, he just didn't care or understand. Like, you know, I you think... You can tell us was, who it was. What's that? You can tell us who it was. Yeah. No, I can't. No, I, I don't want to. <laughs> he won't, like, he won't listen to this show. Well, I know, but I kind of like him and he's rich and I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to get sued somehow. But um, no, but but he wanted to go to a titty bar, which is a fair enough option, I'm sure. But, you know, like the fact that he just couldn't even adjust to see what we were enjoying through the prism of our life... It just he didn't know it, didn't want to know it. But I find that a lot in Australia, we get brought up on American TV and movies, on English TV and movies. So we're fascinated about the Premier League. We're we're fascinated about the NBA or the NFL. But um, I, I find that a lot of nations that never look down. If you're lower on the ladder of nations that matter, you look up because you're impressed and you're influenced and you want to experience their stuff. But I think nobody looks down that ladder of nations that matter. And it's a shame because they don't know what they're missing out on. I still reckon it's the world's greatest game. You know, even with the rule changes that we don't agree with, or at the moment, it seems you can just fucking throw the ball and no one cares. It seems that you can be spun around 17 times in a tackle and not have to get rid of it. You can just let it go and it's not dropping the ball. You know, even even when you override those sort of um, trends in rule changes or game styles, it's still just better than anything. And, and luckily, I'm sure you have too, but I've traveled a fair bit. I always make a point of seeing other sports. I went and saw Highlight in Miami. I don't know if you know about Highlight. It's at the, in the opening credits of Miami Vice, which is one of my favorite TV shows ever, it's kind of like this weird game with this sort of like um, this scoop made out of like a cane that you'd weave a basket with, right? And American Indians invented it. And it's this weird sort of scoop. And it's on the end of this stick. And they sort of, they, it's like, it's like uh, if you're playing squash, but both ends of the court are viable, 
right? So the, the, like the, the wall in front of you and the wall behind you, but it's a really long court and you've got these sort of like a baseball in it. Anyway, it's a weird game. I went and saw that in Miami. Within two minutes, I loved it. Um, I've been lucky enough to see Premier League, NFL, uh, baseball. Like, but that no one looks down the ladder. I, I, I don't. If they haven't been educated, it's isn't it amazing? Like the size of Australia. I remember um, uh, an English mate goes, "Is that guy wearing Nike boots?" Like, I took him to a Saints game, right? And Revolt was running amok. And I went, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh, they've got endorsement deals." You know, he, he th- <laughs> even though he was at the MCG, he thought it was like a suburban ground that the cars should be tooting tooting horns at when someone kicked the goal. You know, it was so contemptuous and condescending. I wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> um, if you could picture, I mean, we all picture this and, and we know that it may never happen. But if you could picture grand final day with St Kilda winning a flag, how long do you reckon it would take you to resurface? What do you reckon the uh, the oh, aftermath of that would look like? Would we see you two, in November maybe? Or? Yeah, it'd be two weeks, wouldn't it? I mean... Yeah. On, the, on the occasions we have won a grand final, I mean, I rarely have a day job. I'm self-employed or or, or unemployable. Um, but uh, my brother, who I've gone to basically every game with since we were 10, um, he always takes a full week off for starters in advance of the grand final if we've been lucky enough to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just, the, that's just the opening idea is seven, seven days and nights. I mean, we were worried. I'm sure you guys were too. I think we were very worried last year that it would be just St Kilda's form to fucking win it. Yeah. In the one year we couldn't go and watch it. Yeah. I would have you know, taken it. Yeah, we would have taken it, of course. Yeah, I know. But um, it also would have been, you know, rude of them to do so it if they had a one. Yeah. And I'm surprised they didn't when you think of it that way. I mean, luckily um, that problem, not luckily, you know, hasn't presented itself this year. Some of the, I'm sure we all agree. You know, I was watching in the 80s when we won. I don't know whether you know this. In the 80s, in the first eight years I watched St Kilda, they won six wooden spoons. Six. Like you disband yeah. nowadays, you couldn't be financially uh, viable. You couldn't con- continue as a business, you know. But six out of the first eight years, we won wooden spoons, and we won four in a row. Like we were shit ass, and still I stuck with them, you know. Uh, and so, you know, you need to take a lot of time off. I think. What's your answer to that question? Is how long till you surfaced again? Yeah, well, I took a week off for the drawn grand final when we played Collingwood, but didn't have the leave to take the week off for the following yeah, right. matchup, um, which well, ended up being a courtesy- nightmare. But, yeah. That, well, they had the courtesy right. to not win at least. That would have been <laughs> – yeah, well. But that would have been the um, – yeah, that, that would have been the starting point for me. I might have got home Monday, Tuesday for the first time, but I might not have stayed home long. So. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to regroup, have a shower, clean set of undies, go. Yeah. Re- yeah, that. shower, change, and then go again. Math, so. Mouth wash or brush the teeth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't go overboard. But, you know, um, I'm always envious of the next day when they're at the home ground and there's like 10,000 people, you know what I mean, cheering on the players that haven't had a wink of sleep since the final siren, buying every possible <laughs> bit of bullshit merch that they're flogging off to you. That's that's what I envy probably more than Bring anything. Bring it on. <laughs> I, I remember still doing that in 09 after yeah, we lost same in 09. Here. Same here. So <laughs> honestly... The- Honestly, it was like a funeral, right? Oh, yeah. Horrible. We've, we've had too many of those. Had I know. too many of those. But I'm, look, I am grateful that we've got into grand finals. I mean, Melbourne supporters haven't, you know. That's maybe true. Well, for... one. One. Oh, yeah, that's right. But they lost by 700 goals, they right? They so... <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, the, the end of your book, and this is probably the last one for me, but the end of your book kind of ends around 97 and the 97 grand final and that tragedy. But yeah. is, mm. is there the option will we ever see a sequel of life after that 
Well, I have, I've, I have got one. I've got, I've got the best part of another book written, but no one cares. Um, so far, <laughs> so far, I can't sell it. I reckon it's more interesting because, in my mind, of course, I'm me. I'm awesome. Fig jam, right? Just ask me. But um, uh, I think I'm interesting. But I went from Glen Waverley uh, to London to try and become a stand-up comedian because a mate had come back. I was sort of starting to think of it. I was working in the Reserve Bank in Collins Street in a clerical role, and uh, and I rightfully ended up getting the ass from that because I was no good at it and not interested either. But the combination of no good and not interested. They love that, employers. And um, and by the way, the Reserve Bank staff back in the um, in the early 90s, I've never met a bigger bunch of pissheads in my entire life. The men, the women, the bosses. It was like six pots minimum at lunchtime. If, and then they were doing business worldwide from the Reserve Bank offices, six pots in from like two o'clock onwards. Those last three hours, Christ. Sounds anyway, like the so other one enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, then, then I, after work, you'd piss on again, especially Thursdays, Fridays. And we'd go to like the last laugh, the only comedy club in Melbourne at the time, or there was a little one above the last laugh, which was a part of it called Lee joke. And I'd see Richard Stubbs and Russell Gilbert and Trevor Marmalade and Glenn Robbins. And, you know, they all went on to be lifelong geniuses and popular for a reason, but they were just starting out and I'd go, Jesus, this is unbelievable. What you can just tell funny stories and make money and have everyone love you. So I started thinking about, I wonder if I could do that. And then a mate came back from England with this copy of Time Out magazine. And at the time, that's now famous. There's Time Out Berlin, Time Out Sydney, Time Out New York. But the only one ever was London at the time. And there was like 200 comedy clubs in London alone, you know, any, in any given week. Uh, and so I thought if I went over there, even if I'm shit, I'll find that fact out faster. You know what I mean? <laughs> because to try and get into comedy, you have to do five minutes for free amongst the other proper professional acts. And if you're any good, they ask you back. And if you're not, they don't. Luckily, I kept on getting asked them back. And then next minute it becomes 10 minutes, and then becomes 15 minutes. And, you know, nine months down the track, you start getting paid if you if you keep getting better. And um, why did I go into that crap? What question did you ask me again? Sequel. <laughs> sequel to the book. Oh, the sequel. Yeah. So then, anyway, so then I ended up headlining. Within about three years, I ended up headlining the London Comedy Store. And if you're into live stand-up comedy, the London Comedy Store is the world mecca, right? I know I'm bigging myself up. But I sucked a lot of shit in the meantime and I was broke and I was crying and I was freezing cold and I couldn't afford to come home or I would have. I was too proud to ask my dad for a return flight ticket back. And eventually I got better and smarter and funnier and, and, uh, and ended up making a living from it. But I remember headlining the London Comedy Store in Leicester Square. And that's where, like, if Chris Rock or Seinfeld come off the plane to do big stadium shows in England – the first place they go to from the airport immediately is to the London Comedy Store to clear out the cobwebs of the flight and also to get a feel for the local sense of humour or how they react to make sure that they hit the ground running for the big shows. So, um, yeah, I ended up headlining that. I became a headline act at all the big clubs in England and that mattered, but I was never good enough or gutsy enough to then go to the Edinburgh Festival and do my own solo hour and see if that would elevate me to the big, you know, Ross Noble, Graham Norton, uh, you know, big boy level. Uh, I think I was a bit scared and also maybe not skilled enough, but um, the sequel would be about those first three years when I, 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 I hadn't had a girlfriend. I hadn't had a car. I got sacked from my only job. Um, I wasn't good at anything. And I thought that I could become a comedian in England and somehow no one stopped me. And then I made it come true. I can't believe it. I'm proud of myself. Um, I've now slid down the other side of the mountain now and I'm doing a podcast 
but not yours. My own is bad enough. But, you know, uh, we all have our days in the sun and they all have different durations. So I'm happy with where I got to, but I reckon I got up to so many uh, hijinks, so many outrageous activities. I just saw that second half of the Luke Longley documentary. I'm not likening myself to him, but only, well, I am, but he said that he used to hang around with, uh, uh, was it, did he say he hung around with Scotty Pippen after? Yeah, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Yeah, oh, no, and Dennis Rodman. He said he hung around with Dennis yeah. Rodman after the games and got himself into situations that he cannot believe, you know, upon reflection that he ever should have gone near. Well, because I never – I'm a bit like Forrest Gump, right? I was always near the famous people but never got famous myself. And yeah. um, But the stories you get involved with, because those people get in everywhere and they're allowed to behave any way they want, you know, because they're stars. And – um. Uh, and they did behave any way they wanted. And I was like little Scrappy-Doo to their Scooby-Doo, you know, big names, which I, you know, just famous fucking names that would at some point or other have me drag along like I, like I did as a kid with Trevor Barker. But, you know, Women, Wine and Song took place. And some of it I think I could tell in book form. Um, but, yeah, that would be the sequel. But so far, you know, nobody's interested. And maybe I've just proven why. <laughs> Now, just to touch back on the live show again, it, it, it was probably the, I would say it's the second most laughs I've, I've ever had at a comedy night before. The only one that beats it involved an actual former St Kilda player, which would be... What, Mark Ricky Jackson. Nixon? No, Mark Jackson. Oh, Jacko's she, brilliant. Yes. Jacko's um, brilliant. I saw him with the show with Chopper and yeah. Warwick Capper, and um, I was sort of thinking... How how do you reckon you'd go on the road with him around Australia having a, a St Kilda show? How, how do you think you'd handle that? Just with thinking Jacko. about talking about, yeah. How well, do you reckon that would go? Basically, Jacko's better than I've ever been, and um, <laughs> he's brilliant, as you know. Honestly, his half hour show, you know, because he he became the Energizer battery guy, uh, and then that ad went berserk in America, not just here, and they only knew him as the Energizer guy. They didn't know that he played footy or what footy was. And then um, he got some, he got his own TV show, didn't he? A bit like MacGyver called The Highway Man, and it didn't last long. But he, but that led him to hang around with more famous people in America, like I got to hang around in England. And so he was getting taken, you know, he was getting taken into Playboy Mansion and for big old parties and stuff. And he's got stories to prove it. But no, look, I think Jacko's too big a lunatic. I'd be scared of him on and off the stage, and I think I couldn't, I couldn't be better than him. So I'd, I'd steer clear. It's a nice idea, but I did enjoy watching him. And I was very pleasantly surprised about how brilliant he was as a live performer. Really and also, funny. you know, he's got uh, one of the highest uh, goal per game ratios to this day for people who've played yeah. 100 games or more. No, he was a freak. He, yeah, he and he only played for us once. Yeah. Well, he, he played uh, 10 games for us and, and got the ass, but he kicked 40 goals. I mean, that's four a game. And the reason he got the ass is quite funny. I remember the story Tony Jewell told it where they, cause they had a young Tony Lockett coming to it and they're like, we need to get this kid a bit of exposure. And they said to uh, Mark Jackson, I can't remember where it was, they said, oh, the plan is, look, you'll you'll do a bit of decoy stuff and, you know, you'll be the main man a bit, but we need to bring Plugger into it. And all week he's like, yeah, no worries. And they trained for it, blah, blah, blah. Apparently he was walking down the race to, to start the game and he went to Tony Jewell and said, I'm the only bloke who kicks goals around here, mate. No fucking plan today. <laughs> and then just <clears throat> went out and played. And I think he kicked 10. But um, yeah. Tony Jewell was like, nah, not having that. <laughs> and so yeah, that, right. was, that, was the, uh, that was the end of it. But um, as we let you go, uh, you're, um, in terms of how people find your pod, obviously alongside Lawrence Mooney and, and how they can check that out. Well, yeah, so it's called Saturday Afternoon Fever. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you helping me promote it. Uh, Saturday Afternoon Fever, which, which is a play on Saturday Night Fever, of course, the famous film. But... 
uh, based on the fact that all the games used to be played on a Saturday. And, um, you know, they were the, the heydays of my life as a footy fan. And uh, now we're having done the live shows that you've, a couple of you so graciously, graciously attended <laughs> and ranked uh, second below Jacko. I've never been, <laughs> I'm seriously never been so honoured. Um, we now, yeah, with the great uh, Aussie comedian Lawrence Mooney uh, are doing a podcast version where, as you know, I read the book out and then Lawrence interrupts as often as he can and we spin off in different directions before hopefully getting back to whatever page we started on uh, from the book that day. But I think you get to go to Apple Podcasts um, on your phone. That's already built in. And uh, and it's, it's a listener production, which is the Southern Cross um, Australia, which used to be called Austereo, which is like home of Triple M Network. They, they call their podcast outfit um, or, or, or network uh, listener. So you go to listener or you go to Apple Podcasts and it's Saturday afternoon fever. And um, hopefully you uh, listen and have a laugh. And we've kept the, because most of the guys I've met that have read the book say that's the only book they've ever read. Right. <laughs> and I was slightly aware of that. So I tried to kind of keep it briefish. And so we only do 25 minute episodes where a lot of podcasts do, you know, between 60 and 90 minutes, but we want to get in there, get out of there and hopefully leave you wanting more. Well, good luck with that. And hopefully you can get Sharon uh, on and you got the jumper. So maybe you had to get her back into that again for the, uh, <laughs> for a stream of that. But, uh, but thanks very much for jumping on. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we can cross paths three or four weeks after us and kill the flag on the town somewhere. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think we're going to have to give up on seeing a game this year, which is a damn shame. But anyway, I, thanks heaps, Darren and Aaron and Nick. I appreciate it, fellas. We look towards the Cats at uh, Cadinia Park, which is due for its 490th uh, upgrade in coming weeks. And, <laughs> has been receiving government grants in marginal seats for two and a half decades or thereabouts from whoever's in power, just uh, trying to make sure they get the votes down there in the, in the Cattery and the, the ground still has no wings and still, um, still in the middle of a, a cesspool down in that, uh, in that part of the world. But um, I don't mind Geelong as an area, but uh, so hopefully any of our Geelong listeners, but with the amount of money spent on that ground, it should be six times the size of the MCG and have its own helipad on the roof, I would have thought. But um, anyway, it's still a heap of shit. But well, um, when, when was when was the last time you watched a game at uh, at Cadenia Park? Uh, I went there for work in. It was just after they completed the construction. So I went there during the construction, which was in about 2016, um, when we were in scaffold sort of portables and things like that. Uh, it, it, the media center is pretty good. I went there in 2017, 18, 19. Uh, but yeah, haven't been there for a uh, for a couple of years. But love the city, H- but the ground's not much. H, when was the last time you saw a game at Cadena Park? Last time I went, last time I went there was a preseason match, and the game was delayed because the ground flooded. Oh, that's right, against the Bulldogs of all teams. Yes, <laughs> in about 2015 so, or so. But yeah, I I used to go every year with with my uncle. We drove to to Geelong mm-hmm. and to go to the game. But I reckon the last time that I went there was I remember if it was oh two or oh three. And Baker Baker was killing Ablett up to about three quarter time and got injured mm. late in the third quarter mm. or something. Did a hammy, I think. Mm. And Ablett went off off tap in the last quarter and they they rolled us in the last quarter. Um, and that was almost the start of my hatred for Geelong. I think that game. I, well, I do remember the last game I actually went to there. I just re- just recorded then. It was actually um, I was working on the boundary alongside Mickey Roberts actually when uh, in Alan Richardson's last game as coach in 2019. He he coached mm. that game and then got the flick. So uh, a very annoying chirpy Geelong supporter behind us as we were just we weren't barracking. We we're obviously doing our job, but it was very frustrating because we were actually up at half time in that game mm. and um, only lost by, lost by maybe. 
Yeah, I, I think it might have been six or thereabouts, but they certainly blew us out in the in the second yeah. half, and it got a bit messy. It was a low scoring, cold, wet night. Yeah. Um, and I remember Alan Richardson had tears in his eyes in the box post game, and I remember thinking, talking to Darren Berry about it, who was on our podcast uh, a couple of years ago, saying that's a bit of a sign that there's been some message around in regards to now or never in terms of a result. And obviously the, we, we got pumped by Brisbane the week before or something. Didn't yeah. We? A shocking yeah. game at Marvel. Yeah. Um, got beaten by about 70 uh, when we were close to in front at halftime in that as well. And just got annihilated. Charlie Cameron flogged McKenzie that day. He was playing deep defense. But it was um, our first, our first uh, episode that week as well. It was, that's right. But we haven't won at Kidinia Park since round 10, 1999, which was actually one of our greatest victories. Uh, we were 25 points down early in the last quarter, kicking against the breeze. You might have seen an article about it. Um, we actually, it was our fifth win in a row. Robert Harvey went nuts. Uh, a lot of our guests on this podcast, Spider Everett, Tony Brown, Ozzy Jones, ran a muck in the last quarter. Andrew Thompson had about 35 touches. Uh, and we were able to come over the top of them and beat them at Kidinia Park, uh, kicking the last six goals of the game. So um, it'd be nice to emulate that type of thing again. Um, the changes. So we bring in Dan Hanabry, his first game since the semi-final against Richmond last year. Dougal Howard only misses the one with the hammy, which is useful. Uh, Max King, touch and go. Hopefully he gets up, given all of Geelong's players that were touch and go, like Cameron and Henderson are playing. Um Dara Joyce omitted. Jack Bytel omitted, but might be the sub again. I thought he was all right when he came on in the last mm. quarter. And Leo Connolly out injured. Not sure exactly what the injury is, but um, probably due a spell. He's, he's had a good run and, and looked all right for us. So um, that, that's okay. Yeah, the Joyce one is interesting just in terms of the balance. Yeah. Hunter Clark, oh, that, that's intriguing because he it was a concussion issue that saw him miss last week. So he should be eligible after the 12 days. So whether he's still feeling lingering effects, which would be a worry, or whether they want to look after him given what happened to him first game back. But, yeah, he would have been useful. Um, See, Hunter Clark's a, a really interesting one because I, I was of the opinion at the time, and I think I was pretty strong on the fact that I didn't think that he should come back at all this year, um, regardless of whether he was better after six weeks or eight weeks or, or whatever, that if he was fit to go, in round 2021 20, that he probably shouldn't come back based on that, that just that injury. Um, I wonder if it's one that they wait and see everything falls our way and we make finals. Do you bring him back for week one of the finals or do you just put a line through him for the rest of you and say, Hey, this guy is our future. This guy is the next decade in the middle for us, you know, along with Jack Steele, obviously, but um, this guy is, is special. He's a special talent. Let's put a line through him. Let's look after him, wrap him in in bubble wrap for the next few weeks and and the off season, and and then let's get him back strong and fit for for round one next year. It's, it's a really interesting one. Yeah, and that's the other side of the balance. Just the you're trying to, I guess, fighting for finals to a degree, but yeah, you got to look after the the player. I mean, and, you, yeah. you want and and all coaches kind of say mm. this when when a bloke gets injured, but you want Hunter Clark playing two hundred games for St Kilda. You don't want him. Yeah rush back this you know this week or next week or whatever and potentially you know breaking his jaw again or or getting another concussion and and potentially you know having next year off the park you you want to look after him make sure that he's safe and healthy and fit and all those sorts of things but you know he's the type of guy you want 200 games out of because he's that he can be that special for us 
Yeah, he can. He can. And, and he's another guy that hasn't had, I mean, a super year, but, um, you know, the upside's still pretty strong in, in him. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough balance. And, and Ryder, particularly given the nature of the injury for him, it's a tight Achilles. So they're obviously putting him on ice. If he plays and pings that, then he probably never plays again um, right. at this at this stage of his career. So um, I think frustrating the year's, as, year's yeah, probably done for Paddy. As, as frustrating as that is, you can't do an injury like that in, in your mid-30s. Um, and, so, and we're at yeah. the – I think – whether we play finals or not, I think you mm. you got to kind of look to next year. And we know how yeah. important that ruck position is to us and the way that we play with him in the team. Mm. We need him next year. Yeah, know, we we can't afford to lose him for next year. Um, whether or not, you know, someone like Max Heath pans out um, or Sam Alabacus, something happens with, with him and he becomes a player or not. Um, whether or not we trade for a ruckman or bring another ruckman in, um, we need Paddy Ryder next year. We're not in a in a position to be able to give up on on him for next year, and it might be a, again another one of those situations where you go whether we make finals or not, we need Paddy Ryder next year, mm-hmm. and you know we'll sort out the ruck position, you know with Rowan Marshall post twenty twenty two, and and we can you know, we can look to that, but we need Paddy Ryder next year. There is there is no ifs or buts about that. We need Paddy Ryder next year. Yeah. We do. I think Heath's going to be a good player. So it'll just take a bit of time. I know he's only a kid, but um, the other ones are, um, I think it's Windhager and Mitch Owens, who are, I mean, the COVID thing might be a tiny blessing in the sense that mm. the way it works with academy players is that you can bid on them, provided they don't get bid on in the top 20, then you can't match the bid. And Mitch Owens got brought in late to the rep game and had 30 touches and killed it but he's still on most draft boards in the 30s or 40s. Mm. And I know it sucks that the kids aren't playing, but I reckon if he was, he'd be pushing up the list. So that might potentially help us just get him as an academy selection. He's a very good young player. And Windhager is a, a clever goal sneak that could be anything. And we've got Nova Paris's son uh, as well, um, sort of coming through the ranks. He's pretty quick. He'd be the quickest player in the AFL probably as soon as he started. But whether, um, you know, that's just pace. Best hockey player at least. Well, that's right. But, um, yeah, so there's a few sort of futurist prospects. Um, emergencies are Joyce Long, Hunter, Bytel. Handy that Geelong are missing Rowan and Tui. Um, obviously, it's a shame they get Cameron Smith and, and Henderson back. But Interesting to see if Cameron yeah. plays, though. I think there's still yeah. some question marks around Cameron. And I wonder if – I wonder maybe that's a reason that Joyce is an emergency, that if maybe they're expecting Cameron maybe not to play. But if he does play, maybe they bring Joyce in late. They bring him in. Um, because that was one of the things, you know, if, I know Wilkie did a phenomenal job on Buddy Franklin mm-hmm. last week. But can he play on Jeremy Cameron? Probably. Is it ideal? No. He's certainly not ideal for Tom Hawkins. Um, and, you know, the ability to play, you know, if, if Cameron plays to have maybe Joyce on, Hawkins and Howard on Cameron mm-hmm. um, is maybe the way to go. And then you, you at least you free up. As well. That's yeah. right. And you free up mm-hmm. Wilkie to be that kind of intercept, intercept mark defender and, and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. I think Joyce, Joyce has done nothing wrong, really. Yeah, I, feel, I, I actually quite feel for Joyce. I wasn't a rap for him at the start of the year. I yeah. wasn't sure why I was given a, a contract extension. But you know, when he came in, you know, Frawley got injured and Joyce came in. Um, he hasn't really put a foot wrong. And... Yeah, I think he kind of deserves his shot. Who's our he, second ruckman? Played. 
this week. Okay. Membry, maybe? Yeah. yeah I, I think EA took about... Did he take one or two contests on the weekend, I think? It, it was... A couple, not many. Mm. But yeah. I'm just thinking, um, what, what happens if... I know it's a big risk. What happens if Marshall does a, a hammy or something? Puts yeah. Puts in trouble. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, I said last week, yeah, we'd, mm. a memory would have to be the option, you'd think. Um, just... You look at the Ruckman now, they're, they're good around the ground. They've got the tank and that sort of thing. And, well, he's got both those, and he's got a reasonable jump. So it's three things you look at. Yep. If you're forced, if your hand's forced, that's who, that's who you have to look at, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But, yeah, it'll be. The the big story, I mean, we've, we've seen the big players for us, obviously, Jack Steele, Rowan Marshall, Paddy Ryder. Max King has, has been the big improver in the second half of the year. The big story this week, Dan Hanabry. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we saw that, I think we've all seen the story about him taking less money next year and, and renegotiating yeah. the contract and, and all that sort of stuff, which is great. Yeah. You know, I think it shows, uh, I understand the frustration. I'm, uh, we're all frustrated with what's panned out. But I, I think some of the, the criticism that's leveled at, at Dan Hanabry the thief, you know, the, the yeah, steal money. I mean, that's yeah. it is. It's hundred percent bullshit. Um, you know, he's doing his job. I mean, mm. ideally, you want someone like Dan Hanbury out in the field because that's where he has the most impact, right? But it's not as if he's sitting at home doing nothing. It's not as if mm. he's just wasting away, going, "Well, fuck it, I'm just going to take my paycheck and go home." Mm-hmm. It's clearly that he's not that type of guy, for one. Um, he, he's been known his entire career as a hard worker. You know, we, we've heard from our own young players at the impact that he's had on them in terms of professionalism, training habits, um, all that sort of stuff. He's clearly had an impact. Is it worth whatever those, you know, the speculated contract is, is spoken about? Well, I mean, that's a matter of opinion and perspective and, and all that sort of stuff. It's clearly it's not, not deliberately ideal. injured. So. That's right. It's not sitting yeah. at home thinking, well, I'm just going to, yeah you know, stick, you know, sit on the couch and, and get paid. That's clearly not what he's doing. Mm. He's, he's done everything possible to get himself right. Um, and it's just a shitty situation. But we saw last year when he came in late, late in the season, the impact that he can have. He's, he's an absolute quality player, right? Yeah, he and, and Ryder were best on in the elimination final. Absolutely. Those were the two best players. Yeah. Absolutely. And, we, and we saw, you know, in, in the, the, the games that he played the year before as well, mm. when he came in late in the year. Um, and you know, when, when rats was, um, interim coach, mm. you know, in those final six games or whatever that he was close to best on ground in a few of those games as well. Mm. Mm. Um, and he's just a really impactful player. And if he can, if, if we can get him right, if he can get right, then who knows what we see out of him next year, but good on him for, for, you know, restructuring the contract and, and maybe if he plays, 15 or 16 games next year. Maybe he gets a, a one-year extension. I don't mm-hmm. know. Who knows? We, we don't need to talk about that now. But um, the the ability to bring him in to have an impact now is a really interesting concept because he gives us something that we don't have. Um, and I, I just thought it was worth mentioning the impact that he has on our footy club, whether he's out in the field or not. And yeah. I think some of, the, some of the criticism that has been leveled at him personal criticism is extremely harsh. And I, I just I just wanted to raise that because I think he's a good bloke. He's a good fellow. He's a good trainer. He works hard. And some of the stuff that, that is thrown at him from 
the outer, I suppose, um, is uncalled for, is harsh. And I think sometimes some of us, you know, whether it's us, whether it's the club, coaches, whatever, need to stand up for these guys. And, and mm-hmm. Dan Hanabry hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything to, to you know, make fans hate him. He's, he's been injured. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Right. That's right. I mean, look, the, one, yeah. One way to look at it is too that we've seen the cuts in the expenditure for coaches and all the off field and that. And you're sort of thinking, well, okay, next year he's going to go in on a much less contract. So we've got a smaller contract sitting on our player list, who it seems to be is doubling as a coach with. He's been helping the younger kids. He's been guiding him and teaching him. And you sort of think, well, there we go. We, we're kind of getting away with having a coach on our total on our players' contract. So yeah. there's a huge upside there in the way that, okay, we found a way to almost get around um, the, the cuts that have been happening in the coaching ranks. So it's... It works out two ways. If he plays, as you say, 15, 16 games, they're 15, 16 games at a much cheaper rate. And we've got someone who is guiding these kids through the their start of their careers to teach them. But you look at what he went through to start when he in his career, the success Sydney had, he knows what is expected. He knows what is required. He passes that on to him and teaches them and guides them. And with, then we not realize hey we've got a really good bunch of kids here they know exactly what they have to do so that it's just a little bit of a bonus if you look at thinking well that's what we've got there next year yeah and if um if if um you know with, with robert and retiring let's say that's hypothetically 300k um if carlisle's moved on that's hypothetically 600k and if Hanabry hands over 200k, then we've got over a million dollars to pay Ben King's contract. So that's uh, <laughs> that's. I handy, mean, so. I guess before we before we finish up on on yeah. the Geelong game, I guess we haven't really spoken about future state of the footy club. We, I think, given we're still in finals contention, we haven't mm-hmm. started talking about you know, all these things that can potentially happen throughout the off season. But I think you know we, we are potentially two weeks away two games away, less than two weeks, two games away from finishing the, t- the 2021 season. Given the, the state of the media and the way, I think the way things pan out, you know, we're now seeing more stories around Luke Dunstan, his future. We're seeing stories around Jack Billings and his future. Um, I guess you know, part this, this part of the podcast isn't purely about what's coming this week, but I guess what's coming up next for us as a footy club, the, the conversations that are happening now around Luke Dunstan and, and Jack Billings specifically, but potentially also, you know, a Seb Ross and maybe some other blokes within the footy club. Where, where do you see us, Parco? I mean, as someone who's kind of, you know, I guess more involved in the, the day-to-day inner sanctum of the media and where some of these stories come from, where, I guess, what, where is the, the lay of the land as, as you see it? I don't know. I always end up coming around to being more optimistic and I don't know why that's the case given the amount of times we've been, been hurt. But I, I always feel that 
you know, there have been times this year where, as I said, you feel like you're a mile away and times where you feel you've, you're not that far off. And the reality is they're not that far off. Um, it depends on the improvement of other clubs. It depends on where they're at. But, I mean, if you look at it this year, if we could conceivably, if we win even one of the last two, we'll miss the finals by either a game or half a game uh, or percentage, one or the other. Um, and we've lost at least five games we should have won. There haven't really been any games we've fluked or, or pulled out of our arse either. Like the Giants game was 50-50, but we, were, we had 14 blokes out that day. So that was a great Norm- win. Normally um, when, you lose, when you lose some of those games in the way that we've lost, like yeah. the Adelaide game, you, you know, that sort of stuff, such a long game. Yeah. You, normally you, you win a couple on the other side that you probably shouldn't have won. That's and right. We, well, haven't, we haven't had that. Really. I mean, the Gold Coast game, we kind of pinched it a bit, but we dominated the last quarter. We dominated most of that game after quarter time. We just were a bit wasteful. So the Giants and the Suns were the close games that we won, really. I mean, you look at Collingwood, a nine-point win, but we blew the shit out of them in that game. It was just a bit faded out late. Um, that wasn't really a close game. So, yeah, it's look, a lot of the reasons why we're losing those close games have been there for a while and it needs to be addressed. It's not a fluke that we're losing those games. It, it happens too often. Um, and, look, the Port Adelaide and Carlton losses in the running have been a bit disappointing. But, look, if we if we don't get there, we're only going to miss by a little bit. We've had a wretched run of injuries, I would say, either the worst or, or in the worst three in the competition. I know Fremantle and a couple of others have had a, a toughish run, but... Um, these are all sounding like excuses, but they're, they're reasons to underperform in a way. So there are things that are really disappointing and they've got to look at it and say, you know, we've got to review X, Y, and Z because we've taken a backward step as a club. Even if we make the finals, we've taken a slightly backward step as a group. Last year, we probably had 14 players improved. This year, we might have had five potentially and, and a few others that have either gone backwards or stagnated. So Bearing that in mind, to be as close as we are to playing finals, I take the optimistic approach to that, that with a few things changing, we win 14 games next year. We had a hard fixture, hard fixture, injuries, blokes out of form. Um, it doesn't automatically happen, but, but I'd be inclined to think that we're more likely to win 14 games next year than eight, put it that way. It's just... So- so I might ask you both this same question, I guess, for the next couple of weeks. Mm. But Luke Dunstan, A, and Jack Billings, B, are they on the list next year? Look, my view, if I throw a third name into that realm in Seth Ross, who gets mentioned mm. a little bit as well, you can't lose all of them. Um, if you lose all three of them, it hurts your depth too much. Um, I think we need to lose one of them, and we could possibly get away with losing two of them but I wouldn't lose three. Um, Dunstan and Ross are similar players, so I'd be inclined to go there. But in saying that, when the chips are down, I think the way they play the game is probably more likely to service than the way Billings plays the game. So I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's they won't all then be there, got, I wouldn't yeah. have thought. You're going to throw into a two. You've got to throw into a what can you get for them as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Bill, sure. Billings is the one that probably pulls the most um, Correct. want out from outside. Um, Dunstan has the South Australian draw, I guess. Um, there's, there's a little bit of that there. Um, I mean, he's been linked to South Australian teams at various occasions through his career now. Um, but he's peaked but right there at times. as well. Well, yeah. and, and I think I, I think I said to you the other week we were watching the Carlton game. 
in mm. Richmond, Parker, I, th- I think mm. I said to you that I think Luke Dunstan is kind of the perfect player for Carlton to bring in to take some of the pressure off Walsh and Cripps mm. and mm. allow them to do the things that they do best. But, yeah, sorry, go you go on H as, as well. And then no, I'll just, I was just saying, yeah, so basically it's the... It's just a fact. If someone comes to us throwing some crazy deal at us for billings, you you get to a point where you sort of go, okay, we can't say no to it. It's it's just a it's a matter of what other teams want and how much they're offering to give to it for someone. And how many clubs? How many clubs want them to? Yeah, yeah. For example, if one club wants billings and four clubs want Dunstan, then you end up in a bidding situation. Well, I'm part of. Part of the issue is that Dunstan Billings are uncontracted, so it's almost out of our hands. Like we, mm-hmm. uh, what they're talking about at the moment is that we're potentially under-offering those two Certainly in order to, to open are. those yeah. sort of conversations. Mm-hmm. In that, mm-hmm. you know, I think Port Adelaide has been spoken about for both of them, but for, but for Billings specifically, there's been in the media in the last, I guess, ten days. Um, but we know that you know the potential for North or or Essendon. You know, there's ties mm-hmm. to Essendon um, and North, for obvious reasons, would be interested in someone like Jack Billings um, and could probably get a lot more money at North or Essendon than at St Kilda, for example. Um, Dunstan, obviously that that home ground or, or home state factor that you mentioned, H, with Port mm-hmm. and Adelaide. Port, I think both for different reasons. You know, Port probably see themselves as in contention and maybe another ball winner, um, you know, contested beast, mm. etc., could help them in that regard. Um, they've already got potentially the best contested ball winner in the competition in Ollie Wines, and maybe another one helps them get over that hump, you know, that, that semi-final. And Rockcliffe just retired. So. Rockcliffe's yeah. just retired. Mm. Adelaide for completely different reasons in that they're rebuilding and they're getting rid of a lot of their older, you know, we, we've seen this week Daniel Talia, Tom Lynch. Another contract. Yeah. Tom Lynch not getting another contract. Um, Luke Dunstan's only 26, 27. So he's still in that in that middle range age bracket that he can earn good coin for a few more years if he goes to an Adelaide and becomes a senior player, a walk-up start in that midfield every week mm-hmm. and help bring along that younger generation in Adelaide. Um, so very different reasons. There are options in in Adelaide for him. Carlton, yeah. I think there's an option. Um, mm. But it, it really comes, I mean, though, like I said, those two guys are uncontracted. So if they get off, you know, if Luke Dunstan gets offered 600K at, at any of those clubs, you have to think that he'd take it because we can't, surely we can't offer him that type of money. Well, we should have our heads examined if we do. Absolutely. I mean, he was yeah. told 20 weeks ago that he wasn't in the team, he wasn't yeah, in contention. Right. Mm. Um and as much as he's improved and he's kind of forced to, you know, bang the door down, mm. you can't go from you're not in contention yeah. to then being, you know, a top 20% salary at the club. Correct. And, and look, he's, he's done a good job. He's done a good job since he came back in and I like him. And he's, a, he's an AFL footballer for sure. He should be Absolutely. playing every week. But um, Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. that yeah. I, I, I agree. He should be playing every week. Mm-hmm. But our problem is that we have so many players that offer the same as Luke yeah. Dunstan. When I say he should be playing every week, he should be playing somewhere every week. I'm not sure um, necessarily 
that um, all things being equal, that he'd be in our side every week. Yeah. But in saying that, I like him. He does a he does if, a good if job. If you had to choose, but, if you had to yeah. choose who plays next week between Luke Dunstan and Jack Bytel, who are you picking? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd be playing Bytel. But me too. And that's not a, that's not a knock on Dunstan. I just because Bytel might one future. day. Yeah, he might one day take you further. So, the, the ceiling the, is high. We know. We know what Dunstan offers. We know that we know his limitations. Yeah. He he can be a very good AFL player. Mm-hmm. But we know his limitations, and Jack Bytel, I think, offers us potentially more. We don't know that, but you've got to play him to find out, right? Yeah, I mean, Dunstan's a good solid 6.5 out of 10 every week, maybe a 7 out of 10 yeah. every week. Yeah. But Bytel could and, have some and games. And probably, yeah. probably at a team like Adelaide or, or yeah. a number of clubs, he's probably a, a walk-up top 10 best Correct. of Ferris because you know what he's going to get. You know what he's yeah. going to give every year. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting, I think the, the wild card for us is Seb Ross. Mm-hmm. Because I think Seb Ross is in our best twenty-two. Yes, I agree. And I think you know and if you had to choose tag, between yeah. if you had to choose between Seb Ross and Luke Dunstan, who are you picking? I'm, I'm probably picking Seb Ross. Probably not. Not as yeah. it's not as clear cut as it might have been. No, it's not. Six weeks but ago, just because of the tagging aspect and the halfback yeah. role that he can play. Yeah, and, and his left his left foot's probably a bit better. Marginally the delivery, of the yeah. marginally. Yeah. Um, but you know, if he got an offer from, say, a Gold Coast, or if we got an offer from mm-hmm. Gold Coast saying, you know, we've lost a bit of a bit of veteran experience, we want a leader, someone who can bring the guys together, someone who can bring them along for the next three or four years, um, you know, and we're and we're going to offer you a high second round pick. I mean, you have got to consider it. Yeah, depth wise, we can't lose both of them. Though. That's right, and yeah. that's the thing is, if mm-hmm. if Luke Dunstan, if Luke Dunstan says. I'm going to walk and I'm going to go to Adelaide, for example. Mm-hmm. Jack Billing says, North's offered me 800K. I'm going to go to North. Fine. And yeah. we get a we get offered, let's say it's pick 20 from Gold Coast, pick 21 from Gold Coast for Seb Ross. That's a really tough decision. If Gold Coast say, we're going to offer you, we're, you know, we're going to make some moves, we're going to offer you a pick 15 for Seb Ross. They can have Seb Ross in a sweetener on a Ben King trade if they want. Potentially, well, that's, that's where that, I mean that's where you got to put your you know yeah. footy footy department you know recruiting manager uh, GM hat on. But, well, yeah. One that has come up this week though. Mm. So if we're talking Dunstan and Adelaide, would would we consider something for Crouch with that? That's, that's he's the one that's come yeah. out. As, I guess yeah. with value from there a little bit. Pro- but... Probably not. I think I think he's I think his upside is better. Um, he's a, a dynamic, like prolific ball winner. He can run a bit, you know, runs the lines a bit more. So I'd be more inclined with that. Um, but that's I, I just think there's a bit more upside in him. His best games are probably a little bit better than those other two guys. And one name I've sort of heard that we're sort of linked to. It's hard to say at this stage, but. Um, one that we can kind of keep an eye on would be Ollie Florent from Sydney. So Interesting. he'd be a um, a reasonable pickup. I don't know how they get it done, but um, that's one that's been kicked around a little bit. Good player actually played all right against us on the on the weekend just then. Daniel so. Daniel Talia. I did think about that when I read that today. Um, maybe. I think it's a kind of an obvious move for us. I mean, we're going to yeah. lose potentially for all the back Carlo. half. Yeah, and and Robert comes off the list, yeah, so there's some correct. money there in the defensive half. And it wouldn't cost much. Wouldn't cost yeah. much. And I, I said today on uh, in one of the in one of the groups on Facebook, you know, the reason that that Talia hasn't played this year isn't because he's not good enough. No, it's it's because Adelaide is committed to playing the kids, and they've got a number of kids like Dodie and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and why wouldn't you? And that's mm. you know, that's the reason that 
I think all of us agree that if you had to choose between Jack Bytel and Luke Dunstan, you'd probably Correct. choose Bytel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of wish that they'd made that decision from round one and just played Bytel all year. Yeah. But Daniel Talia, I mean, w- when you lose the type of um, experience and, and whatever that we're probably going to lose, Robertson's already gone. John, he's in yeah. the coaching department now. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to lose Carlisle. I can't see a way that he has a contract for next year. No. James Frawley is another one. He was brought in to make a difference this year. Hasn't happened for a number of reasons, mainly injury and, and whatever. I can't see him on our list next year. Um, we well, they're weighing another... up offering him a contract, so give that contract to Talia. Well, yeah. I mean, Talia's 29. Mm-hmm. Frawley's 33, 34. Yep. No-brainer. No-brainer. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just think that the value for that type of money, you're probably only talking 200, 250 maybe for one of those guys for a a single year contract. Mm -hmm. Um, We could get three years out of Daniel Talia, whereas we'd be lucky to get half a year out of James Frawley next year. Yeah, he played, what, two games this year, maybe one? One, yeah. Yeah, he got injured in that Carlton practice game, played against Geelong the first time. Yep. Um, Actually did a ride. I think Hawkins only kicked one or something in that game. But... um, Mm -hmm. Well, that was the game uh, that Joyce got dropped. That we told you correct. Before. Yeah, correct. Um, so, um, yeah, it's um, it's tempting. But, yeah, obviously we'll, we'll find out more about that in recent times or in, in coming weeks and whether we sort of dangle a few carrots around. But, um, yeah, there aren't as many big fishes, big fish on the market as there have been in the past. Obviously, Josh Kelly wasn't coming to us anyway, but he's been linked up. Chera is either going to stay at Fremantle or go to Carlton. But um, I hope he stays at Freo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so we'll we'll see um, sort of how we fare. I mean, we're going to have. I would think we should have a million dollars in the bank based on the players leaving the club. So you don't want to put all of that into one guy, but you play around with it a bit. There's guys that are going to want new contracts within your list as well. Um, but yeah, it's a nice position to be in. But hopefully. Um, you know, we we're not out of contention yet. It's remarkable that with two games to play, we can still play finals, given how much of a shit fight it's been at times this year. But we'll uh, we'll fight on, and and we battle towards Geelong. And this is last chance for us. We win, we're alive. We lose, we're out. We've thought that a few times, but it's officially the case this week. It's win or go home. So hopefully, when we're here next week, we'll look to Fremantle as a mini elimination final in the last round. Go Suns. Go. Uh, it doesn't really matter with Giants and Richmond as long as whoever wins loses the week Wonderful. after. <laughs> Go Freo against West Coast. So that's that's sort of how we'll sign off on it. So basically, we need um, we need a win, but we need. Uh, I've never even bothered this week. or just do it next week if it's alive. But we need West Coast to lose either one or both. If they lose one, they've got to get flogged in it. Uh, and we need whoever loses or whoever wins the GWS Richmond game to lose the following week, or or Essendon to lose one of their two games. So basically, the spots that are available, you've got West Coast, GWS, Richmond and Essendon fighting with us for two spots. So whoever loses GWS, Richmond is gone. So you've only got to worry about, and, and Fremantle's in the conversation, but I'm not including them because if we beat them, they're out. And if they beat us, we're cooked. So that... Fremantle don't matter because we're going to play against them in the last round anyway. There's nothing they can do to stop us making it apart from beating us, if that makes sense. So the equation is basically we've got to get to 11 and we have to hope that neither 
or, or only one at worst of Essendon, GWS and Richmond gets to 11. Whoever loses GWS, Richmond is cooked. So then you would need one of those other two teams to get beaten somewhere. Either GWS to lose to Carlton in the last round or Essendon to lose to either the Gold Coast this week or Collingwood in the last round, unlikely. Our best case scenario is probably West Coast getting beaten twice. They play Fremantle and then they play Brisbane at the Gabba. Brisbane will probably get them. Um, so it's whether Fremantle can get them or not this week. So go Fremantle because that'll take West Coast out of business. Whoever loses Giants, Richmond out of business. And if somehow the Gold Coast can manufacture a win against Essendon, then that's a very good result for us. Unfortunately, for reasons unknown, they can play at the Gabba on Saturday, but they can't play at Metricon on Sunday. So that's not ideal with the Gold Coast having to beat Essendon at Cadinia Park instead. But hopefully Cadinia Park's a good weekend for us this weekend. We win and then the Suns do as well. But go Saints for Saturday because we certainly need it.